This is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast podcast. It's Friday, December 30th, 2022, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. This is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior America. Steak for breakfast. So stand by. This album is dedicated to all the teachers that told me I never amount to nothing. To all the people that lived above the buildings that I was hustling from that called the police on me when I was just trying to make some money to feed my daughter. And all the niggas in the struggle. You know what I'm saying? It's all good, baby, baby. Uh. It was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine. Something pepper and heavy D up in the limousine. Hanging pictures on my wall. Every Saturday, rap attack, Mr. Magic Molly Mall. I let my tape rock till my tape pop. Smoking weed and bamboo, sipping on private stock. Way back when I had the red and black lumberjack with the hat to match. Remember rapping Duke? This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. They're at stayreadygear.com and on Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Holsters, custom Kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on- and off-duty gear. Hot-melted plastic made just for you. Need something custom? They got you covered. Use the code STEAK for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready. The Pillow King of Minnesota and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family still cranking out those holiday savings. Whether it's my pillows, my dog beds, getting the robes, the Air Lindells, you're saving up to 80% when you enter promo code stake at checkout. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched my coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. And a promo code stake here, you're getting 25% off, 50% off when you do a monthly subscription. Damn! MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. MyStore.com forward slash steak if you want the coffee. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment specializing in headphones can only be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming, potting, are juicy. Those ear needs taken care of and done upright. Odyssey.com is a website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Our good friend Alan has launched the Patriot Cigar Company, aged three years, hand-rolled, picked from the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. You get a promo code stake here. You're getting this holiday savings bonus, 25% off through the new year. And you order over 100 bucks, free shipping, $10 e-gift card included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke. For freedom-loving patriots, Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has been servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's a licensed FFL. If you're into the tradesies and don't live in Canada, he's also got a five-star rating. His newly redesigned, easy-to-use website is westcoastsurvivalarms.com. He's on Facebook Messenger and via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Steak for breakfast backs the blue. We love our first responders, and they're always working hard. While they're off-duty, they're probably wearing gear from Mediocre Medic. Sweatshirts, t-shirts, flip-flops, fanny packs, and more. Stickers and patches for while they're on the beat. Plus, they've got a pretty fire IG. Mediocremedic.com is the website there. And last but certainly not least, the gold standard of tactical flair and home of the Zero Fucks Duck. Still don't know? Grinch version 2 with the candy cane silencer is dropping this Sunday. Go talk to Mark Joe Friday. Dumpbox.us is the website. Find him on Instagram. Find him on Facebook. 
friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast or on the website at steakforbreakfastpodcast.com. There you'll find a link tree that will take you to all our social medias, the website, our newest Substack, Telegram channel, and more. On that note, to everyone joining us today on the Patriot Podcast Network via the Roku app from the Republican High Command, Instagram, Discord, and now via our verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. Welcome. Friday edition, Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 200. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Alan Jacoby's in to guest host today. He's joined us as well. Hello, everybody. Antoinette's keying up. Guys, we got a big episode for you today. A lot of news. We're going to do it a little bit differently after our cold open, but some great guests coming in here to help us enjoy 200 episodes of hard work. So before we get into anything else, let's just jump right into those big stories. We had 18 Republicans who joined with Democrats in the Senate, get on their fancy planes and go home, and we're sitting here trying to do the work of the people. Not spend money we don't have, not drive up more inflation, not have 7,500 earmarks for $16 billion for pet leftist projects across this country. What you see here on the floor of the House of Representatives should make everybody ashamed. Chip Roy represents Texas in Congress and joins us now to tell us more about the bill. Chip, great to see you. And by the way, some people don't recognize the power of the floor. Great passion, great speech. Tell me the biggest concern you have uh, about this $1.7 trillion monstrosity. Well, good evening, Sean. Merry Christmas. Great Merry Christmas. to be on. And uh, look, where to begin uh, in terms of our concerns about this bill? $1.7 trillion. 4,100 pages dropped on us. You know, you got a day to look at it, a day to pour over it. As you said, all of our staff, we're digging through it. My staff, we went through it. Um, notably, there is actual language in the bill that prohibits the use of the funding for the Border Patrol, for the Homeland Security, to be used by Border Patrol to secure the border. Yet you have 18 Republican senators who go ahead and say, yeah, I'm going to side with Democrats. I'm going to vote for this lousy bill that's going to hamstring our ability to use the power of the purse to demand that Biden secure the border and deal with that crisis and ignore the fact that they're actually hamstringing them further. But it goes beyond that. It's not just the 7,500 earmarks, the $16 billion, the $670 million in earmarks for Richard Shelby as he's walking out the door, the senior Senate Republican appropriator. It's the fact that you're giving more money to the tyrants at the FBI. They get a brand new headquarters, $400 million. You're giving more money to the NIH that Jay Bhattacharya just told you is absolutely foolish. He was actually put on a blacklist by big tech, and we're going to give more money to the FBI who is targeting big tech and going after and censoring people like Jay Bhattacharya. Why would we do that? And the most important question, why would 18 Republican senators do that and stick it to the House Republican majority after the American people gave us the majority? That's a good question. And, and, and so you look at 18 Republican senators who voted for this bill. They could have done just a, a CR, a continuing resolution, continued spending for you know, a, a month or you know, six weeks until you guys took over control of the House and you could have had your own Republican bill. They chose not to do that. Have you asked any Republican senator, one from Texas yourself, um, why they would have done this to Republicans who are about to take over control of the U.S. House? Doesn't make any sense. Yeah, sure. I've asked a number of them, and, and the answers are pretty pathetic, to be honest with you, from all of them. What do they say? There is no excuse for voting this bill. Well, what they tell you is, well, this is the best we were going to get, Chip. And you know what they mean Chip. by that? It's not our debate about the speaker's race. What they actually mean by that is you guys would have fought us over the spending levels on the That's military right. spending and on Ukraine. This was all about Ukraine money and defense spending, which, by the way, I'm sure you will agree with me. I'm all for getting the proper resources to our defense and to our men and women in uniform and having guns and planes and bullets and training to kill people and blow things up. 
What I'm not for is a social engineering experiment wrapped in a uniform. And what I'm not for is a blank check to Ukraine. What I'm not for is using that as an excuse to pile on more debt and not do the hard work of forcing a conversation about what we're spending. Those senators are hiding behind national defense to spend money we don't have, weaken our border, and undermine a Republican majority that wants to try to do it the right way. And there is no excuse for it. And zero. And I'll debate any one of them anywhere they want to do it. And Chip, here's the problem. Republicans go to their constituents and people who give them money and say, listen, we're going to lower the debt and we're going to do all these great things for free enterprise. And then they vote on packages like this. I don't know how any Republican can go to any donor or any volunteer or any voter and say, listen, I'm going to fight for you when they actually vote for this kind of garbage. I don't, I don't know. How they've, I think they've lost all credibility. I agree with you, sir. And, and look, we're still now we're dealing with this crisis getting exponentially worse at the border. And again, those 18 Republican senators took away our leverage to use the power of the purse to force change. Right. And they're actually making it worse by giving them more money to process more people. And you're seeing what's happening. All this Title 42 stuff, it's a shiny object that Republicans are hiding behind. You could take away the whole Title 42 issue and you still have a ma massive crisis. 230,000 people in November, 60,000 or so were turned away under Title 42. That still leaves 160,000 people. It's extraordinary what's happening, and Republicans are playing along with it. We need to use yeah. every tool at our disposal in the House, the debt ceiling, anything we can, and next September 30th, yeah. the power of the purse. That was Texas Congressman Chip Roy right there uh, on Tucker Carlson this week. And this is Steak for Breakfast. Thanks for joining us today, our 200th episode. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, welcome back. Just don't forget to follow us, Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. Find us on all social medias. There's link trees and all the descriptions of our socials and on the uh, podcast websites. Like the show, subscribe to it, give it a share, won't kill you. Uh, this $1.7 trillion omnibus bill that passed last week that was signed down in St. Croix yesterday by Joe Biden, that's he, Hunter, and the rest of the Biden family, vacation could lead to eventually close to $10 trillion of wasteful spending. So before we get into any discussion on uh, Chip Roy's commentary right there, I'm, Noah's with us, and uh, do, looks like he's doing well. Yeah, I'm excited for a new year. Hopefully things change. and change for the better and not, right, not get worse and worse. Antoinette's in today and uh, she's Hello. doing just as peachy as ever. And we've got the host of the great divide. One of our great friends, Mr. My Patriot cigars himself. Alan Jacoby's joined us to uh, guest host on our 200th episode. 200th episode. What's up everybody. This is uh this is great. I remember your hundredth episode and, and it was like, I think the same time last year, tomorrow's new year's Eve. And I think I did your New Year's Eve show last year, and it's been, yeah, it's crazy that it, it, time's flying. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure, and uh, we're always happy to have you, as we love some of the content you bring to the show. So we heard Chip Roy there. I wanted to play the whole clip because it kind of outlines a lot of things, kind of starts at the negotiation and ends where this is going, like I just said, up to $10 trillion in wasteful spending, and un unregulated spending could be attached to this bill if it's used to its fullest potential, which is very alarming. Some of the stuff in there, obviously, nothing for the border, no protections for Title 42, no extra funding for DHS. It removed the power of the purse, which means if Republican senators would have rejected this and did a week's stay, uh, you know, to continue running the government through next week and had the 118th Congress sworn in, 
what would have happened was they would have negotiated by using the power of the purse, the ways and means and stuff like that. Basically, they could have told Alejandro Mayorkas, like, listen, you're getting all this money or you haven't put any money in here. Either or, this is what's going to happen. The House Republicans are not going to send this back to the Senate unless we get this, that, and the other thing for border protection, whether it be more officers and agents, whether it be for more border security, whether it be for a permanent solution to Title 42, or even, you know, bringing back some of the Trump era policies like remain in Mexico and stuff like that. We're not funding DHS, so good luck paying all of your employees. And then you're going to have to explain to them because you didn't want to do your job. This is why your your uh, employees aren't getting their paychecks. Uh, but instead, Mitch McConnell used his power of tortoiseness, the worst, the hmm. worst, to whip eighteen Senate Republicans, and including some of the usual suspects. Cornyn from Texas was obviously somebody they represented. Murkowski, thank you for getting her reelected. While that money you wasted on her campaign, um, Mitch McConnell obviously was the director of this, and then Tom Cotton even jumped on. And Tom Cotton jumped on, and his justification for it was, we need to fund the war in Ukraine. That's complete bullshit. We've mm-hmm. already funded it enough and way more than anybody ever will. And we need to increase military spending, which on you know our Tuesday edition of the show, we played a clip from Rand Paul who kind of debunked that and said, like, listen, this is an unprecedented amount of money we're giving to the military here. I believe it's north of $45 billion, which is less than what Ukraine's getting to fight their war right now. And, and because the prospectus of us not getting invaded is not really, like, the number one issue on the table, we really shouldn't be investing that much money back into the military at this point when we've already kind of turned it into a big social experiment for the most, you know, whatever it means. We're not getting invaded? We aren't. Oh. <laughs> okay. Currently. Right. For now. Asshole. Accepted the border. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of hypocritical statements there and, and just a lot of scary stuff. Chip Roy also mentioned that, you know, there were over 233,000 apprehensions between uh, the end of November and, and where we're at right now. Out of all those people, close to 170,000 people have just been let into the country. Some of the other ones have been, I guess you could call it returned. Who knows what that really means? Um but but it's only going to be getting worse. And and one of the biggest things that this new Republican Congress in the House could have done in January by getting this budget taken care of and stripping it of all its pork and not giving severance packages to districts and states of retiring senators and, and uh, House congressmen could have been removed from it. And instead, we get this disaster. And uh, definitely shows, in my opinion, a lot of the non-support and weaknessness that Kevin McCarthy has uh, because he couldn't get Mitch McConnell to get these senators off board from, from voting yes for it. So it's just not where we're at right now in regards to uh, the direction that the country needs to go in, which is obviously the wrong one. And this is going to make it worse. Remember in regards to all this spending that's in the omnibus bill and all this wasteful garbage that's in it, you're going to start really feeling the effects from uh, year two of the COVID relief act the Inflation Non-Reduction Act, which is set to, you know, make prices. I, I, I put it on social media yesterday. I went to the grocery store, a carton of eggs, 12 eggs, 12 extra large eggs, seven forty-four, $7.44 before taxes. Yeah, I just paid that last night for some eggs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I paid like 18 bucks for two dozen. Wow. That's ridiculous. Gas yeah. prices are going up here in SoCal again. Like, and I'm telling you, because of the Biden-induced supply chain disaster coming out of the pandemic and how they've never addressed it, it's just so far down the rung right now, but it's it's still 
I mean, you, there are so many restaurants, fast food places that just you pull up to them and they're like, we're closed on the inside because we don't have enough workers because we're not selling enough food or half yeah. of the menu items are completely gone. Like we went to Jersey Mike's the other day and one of the things that, you know, they proprietate is that they have all like their deli items out there on the glass counter. They take it out and they slice it on the thing. So you look like you're getting the fresh stuff. They had butcher paper all over the front. And uh, they're like, I asked them like, seriously, when I went to the counter, I was like, what's up with this? And they're like, we had to go to like the regular store and buy some of our products that we're not able to get. And we're not allowed to show the public that we're using like our non-Jersey Mike products. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's wild. Was the sandwich pretty good still or no? Yeah, it was good. But yeah. I mean, like she, she, and the lady was very honest. She's like, honestly, like here at our store, the only things that we're allowed to ever buy at like the grocery store are avocados and bacon. She's yeah. like, everything else we get delivered from like Boar's Head or wherever they get their, their meats from. And she's like, and, and they're the big pieces of whatever that we slice up like right in front of you. And she's like, we're just not doing that right now. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like this stuff is not going away and it's only going to get a lot worse. And you could thank everything that's gone wrong from the midterm elections. You know, people want to place a lot of like targeted blame on like Ronald McDaniel, Kevin McCarthy, obviously the Biden regime. But I would say like 75 ish percent of everything that's gone wrong and all of the legislation that Joe Biden's been able to pass has to do with Mitch McConnell and his hatred for Donald Trump. Yeah, it's just we, we need to get past these people just doing things out of spite now. Mm. It's like, how about you do things? Why don't you try to spite some other countries? Like, why don't you try to do something that's good for this country and keep us strong and dominant in the world? Because we're losing face on the the world stage and so many levels right now. It's ridiculous. Like people, do you think foreign militaries are, are, are taking us seriously when we've got like generals and majors wearing like fetish dog masks or dressing up as women? Well, yeah, I mean, that's well, the goal, yeah. though, right? To destroy America. Stunning and brave. Mm-hmm. Brave and it's stunning. It's wild that people that live here and serve here want to destroy here. It's just, mm-hmm. it, it just sounds like it can't be true. And you go back to shortages, like my whole family had the flu over Christmas, and I had to go to three different pharmacies to get things like Dayquil and Sudafed. And talking oh. to the pharmacist, they're like, I mean, the, the stores are bare. We're talking CVS and Rite Aid pharmacies, big giant chains, multi-million dollar chains. And the, the shelves are bare. A lot of people are getting the flu, not COVID, the flu. Maybe people and, are shoplifting everything. That could be it too. Well, I know I asked. <laughs> oh, you know, you're not in California. Disregard. No, I mean, you know, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> but it it's just wild that, that there's nothing. Like you, 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 any day of the week, you could walk in and get a thing of Advil. Like where is all of the Advil? Oh, yeah, everybody's buying it and we can't get any. It's yeah, crazy. It's a new toilet Same paper. What would you say answer that? Same here in Nevada. It's like I, I couldn't believe it. I went to go get some medication for my son because he was sick, and then we all got sick after, and we're still kind of getting over it. And um, every store I went to, completely bare. They're out of so many things that you wouldn't be like before. You would never think, you know, or ever noticed that they were out of. But it's like everything. Yeah, yeah. Parts of my regular vitamin regimen have been out of the store. In addition, um, you know, my kids get the the sniffles we get some over-the-counter stuff but uh you know it's pretty funny when you go back to it and think about you know back to late 2019 early 2020 and some of the twitter files that have come out one of the reasons they gave donald trump a strike on twitter was for talking about him wanting to calm the public about the mass buying that they were doing remember when there was no toilet paper Mm -hmm. paper? and donald trump was like what are we doing here? Like COVID has nothing to do with toilet paper. These people are crazy. Like, let me go out and talk. So he started tweeting about it. Like there's no reason to buy 
all the toilet paper at the store, like, share so everybody can have some sad. And, you know, it, it's just like, <laughs> if you guys remember, just a few months ago at the start of cold and flu season, they said there was the big three. There was, like, COVID, there was the flu, and what was the other one? SBV? Yeah. RSV. RSV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. RSV. And, and guess what? All of the parents were like, oh, my God. It's just like toilet paper, but this time it's my kids. And they went and bought all of the kids' medication, and now because of the supply chain issues, they can't restock the shelves fast enough. And yeah. we've run into the same issues here. And then you have the people that are scalping for those products too. Like, I mean, yeah. that should be in and of itself. Like, that should be like a crime. Like, if there's a shortage of something and you're being a fucking asshole, and mm-hmm. I mean, like, you you remember during all this bullshit that yeah. started with the the so COVID nonsense? Money. Yeah, it was unbelievable. People are selling like. Subway gloves, like the shitty, like clear yep. fucking yeah. gloves. Food that, handlers <laughs> gloves. Food handlers gloves for like $18 a box. It's yep. like, it, they're just capitalizing on people's fear and it's, it's disgusting. And people are still wearing them in their cars. <laughs> people were telling me I should have been uh, selling uh, ivermectin for like 10 bucks a pill. Cause I had so much of it. I just bought stuff. I think I, I remember Rowan sending you some. You did. I knew you had gotten sick mm-hmm. and uh, I was sending it to everybody. And they're like, yeah, you should be selling that stuff. So I'm not selling it. I have enough for me Hanging and my family. IBM on the streets. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, what, what do you need? You need ivermectin? You need Dayquil? <laughs> I got Excedrin. Which, what you need with the long <laughs> trench coat? That was Noah's and I's Christmas present from the yeah. uh, from Walmart last year. We both caught COVID. Yep. So again, that That's was right. my that was my second bout. Uh, you should throw you should throw in like a bottle of ivermectin with every uh, hundred cigars or something. <laughs> zinc ivermectin and uh yeah just, the just put it in the cigar whatever. you can just smoke it <laughs> there you go That's so one of the saving graces that, that I, I think we've mentioned a lot on the show but a lot of people aren't talking about enough it's starting to get out in the mainstream media because you know w- when the first stay was enacted the the ruling from from john roberts uh that came out originally you know that told the biden administration like hey listen you guys gotta get your fucking shit together like what are you doing like yeah we see it on tv we're hearing we we work in washington dc up on capitol hill we know exactly what's going on fix this and the biden administration basically said like oh okay no no and and they didn't answer them so it's gotten bad to the point where the media can't even hide it anymore. Nope. The media has to address it because it is a story. It's always been a story, but now the media is like, you know what? If we don't start covering this shit, we're going to look really fucking stupid. So yeah, yeah, we better get this on. And you know what? For as much as we knock Greg Abbott as being very reactionary and not as strong as he comes off as being uh, to this point, he has ignored the federal ruling that says he has to take down the container wall that he's building. Actually, he's continuing to build it just, on his own. I should just say it identifies as an art project. There you go. <laughs> They're going to put him in handcuffs next. But but also, he was the one that helped direct packing all those people in the El Paso airport two weeks ago that made national television. And it's continued to bust people to places like, uh, you know, Kamala Harris's residence up in Washington, D.C. He, he sent people to uh, Beetlejuice's residences. <laughs> Eric Adams, the mayor of New York, he sent people <laughs> to, you know, Muriel Bowser and uh, all, all the friends up in Washington, D.C. Like, a lot of people are saying that this is a political stunt, but the political stunt is pulling this onto the, you know, legacy media networks and forcing them to cover it. It's a real-life yes. meme. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I saw yesterday there was a second, I guess, stay or injunction by the Supreme Court, which basically told the Biden administration, okay, we're in the holiday season. We understand that you told us to basically go F ourselves and didn't answer with a comprehensive plan. The plan you have in place right now, the Mayorkas six-point plan, is not going to be the plan that Title 42 is getting lifted to. We will continue to stay this forever. 
but we're not going to stay it forever. And, uh, you know, it, it's one of these things where you, you start to look at the way that the uh, Supreme Court is continuing to issue these rulings and, and what the briefs look like. And, and you, you get to see that they're getting really fed up with this administration and they're starting to see exactly what uh, everyone else has had the balls to cover it is doing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they basically said, like, we're a court, we're not soldiers. We're a court, we're not border agents. And, you know, basically told the Biden administration, you're going to have till February to come up with a new, somehow that seems effective plan to address this issue. And by June of 2023, there will be no more stays or injunctions that allow you, you know, any kind of protection um, in regards to the border. So I, I think they've kind of done their part in probably saving a lot of lives, including the men and women who protect our border. Yeah. But uh, they're only going to do so much, as they said, they're, they're not supposedly a branch of the federal government that enacts legislation and passes legislation. They're ones that make ruling on issues of, you know, constitutional viability. And, and this issue on the border that the Biden administration has caused is a definite gray area when it comes to the Supreme court, because you want them to make a blanket ruling injunction or stay. And then you're talking about them getting into the nitty gritty of like, okay, who's an economic migrant, who's just a basic illegal that's coming in for free everything, who's truly seeking asylum, who's truly seeking refugee, and they can't do that. And they just can't. Well, they don't want to admit that the numbers are astronomically high in leaning false on all of those things. It's close Absolutely. to 98%, of, 98%. All asylum, of all asylum cases are usually deemed non-asylum and cases. That was, and that's the main issue because the way that the initial asylum process is set up, 90% of the people do pass the initial interview part because – They've been trained by the coyotes and the cartels and the human smuggling uh, organizations and health and human services that they know exactly what to say to get past the first point. And then when it gets down into them delving deeper into their story and all the other nonsense that they're coming through and they're like, all right, well, the last 17 people probably just told me the same story exactly with the same name. So what are you talking about? And they're like, oh, yeah, you got me. And I've seen some crazy shit over the weekend. The biggest cartel in, in Mexico actually took, like, tractor trailers up to Guadalajara, which is on route to the United States when they come in from lower Mexico, Mm -hmm. and drove through areas where migrant caravans were staged and passed out Christmas presents to all to everyone, all the kids and stuff like that. They were fireworks. It looked like carnival. Well, they've, they've always done that. They, the the cartels are the the folk heroes in some of these small, uh, small, uh, country cities and stuff like that. And these pueblos or whatever you want to call them, Mm -hmm. they go through and they give people, you know, boxes of, of supplies. Like Mm -hmm. they were doing that during COVID and the whole thing. And it's like, how do you expect an, an entire country to not, just idolize these people because their government's doing nothing for them. Their government is just a giant bag of shit. Mm-hmm. And the only people that are helping them are these criminal organizations who it's like, Oh yeah. You know, they, they write songs about them. Yeah. It's, yeah, a, right. it's a it huge reminds, thing. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of Pablo Escobar, the stories I used to hear. Yeah. When I was oh yes. In the streets and he just hand people cash, you know? And I don't know <laughs> if you, I don't know if you guys heard or saw this today. If you, if you, if anybody on the pod team has seen my social media today, you've saw it. So a group of migrants that illegally crossed into the uh, into El Paso yesterday set up. Uh, Is that Spanish for the Paso? <sighs> so they set up Jesus Christ like crucifixes and and oh, protested outside geez. the local courthouse there. Yeah. Uh, 
and then Title Forty Two instead of the INRI on top of the. Yeah, <laughs> instead of instead of the yeah, they put Title Forty Two. So, and and you know, uh, they they had like one of those banners that the cartel people like hang over bridges. They literally wrote it on a sheet and were holding it up, and it's like. You know, uh, talking about Title 42 and, and Section 8, we, the United States of American government, do not want any immigrants of color or brown color unless you are white like the Ukrainians to come in. <laughs> and, oh uh, yeah, it, you know, it would go on to say, like, you need to uphold this stuff. Like, it's pretty bad when, when the people who are crossing illegally from South America and Mexico are reporting more on all of the Ukrainians we're letting in than the American government and the mainstream media. Yeah, it's wild. Well, let's let's start giving Mexico some money. They can fight the fight the cartels. De- How about that? Delicious. <laughs> or send them some guns or something. I oh, mean, wait. the fact of the matter Oops. is, we know where all of these cartels are based out of. We could just rain fire from the sky and end it overnight. Well, yeah. yes and no, because the fact of the matter is that the cartels are so they're everywhere. They're they're in our country now too. I yeah. mean, operating freely in Arizona. We saw the TikTok videos. We talked about it on our show. Yeah, and. And the major, like, these cartels have so much money. They're investing in things in the United States, like real estate and business. And how do you think they launder their money? Yeah, we saw those. Uh, I remember those videos we talked about where the cartel members would drive past, like, state troopers who pull people over for speeding. And they got, like. He's got, like, a Barrett 50 cal on the yeah. dash of the fucking car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're, like, laughing at me. Like, look at this jerk off getting a ticket. And here I am driving right past them. So. <laughs> I did see there was a uh, a local sheriff uh, from one of the border towns who was talking about the Supreme Court ruling on Fox News yesterday. I wanted to play the clip so everybody could hear it. Breaking news uh, on the Supreme Court, obviously, for these hearings. Uh, you know, this he's a House Homeland Security member, Florida Republican, Congressman Carlos Jimenez. I want to get your reaction. Uh, the U.S. Supreme Court putting that, uh, keeping Title 42 in place, and they're going to hear in February oral arguments on the merits of this case. I want to get your initial reaction to that. Well, that's really good news, but I don't take too much from it. Look, uh, you had a 7-to-1 release rate, so for every one person that's sent back for Title 42, you've got seven people that are released into the United States. So don't take too much of this whole thing with Title 42. It's good. Exactly. It's, it's better than, uh, than nothing. But uh, the whole problem is actually the policies that have been implemented by the Biden administration mm-hmm. and that have caused this tremendous influx and continue to, uh, to allow thousands and thousands and thousands of illegal immigrants into our country like you said, more than five million in the last two years. Yeah, and seven to one ratio of, of being released in regards to sent back. And that was Carlos Jimenez, uh, representative from Florida, actually, not one of the local sheriffs who was going out on that piece. But the fact of the matter is, is that he he said the things that we've always said on this show. It's the holes that the Biden regime, that Alejandro Americas has punched in Title 42 that are allowing all of these people to not be sent back and, and releasing them just in the United States. Um, I know that, uh, a whole bunch of, Alan, we were talking about it off air before there's been, uh, you know, a bunch of criminals released in the United States recently as well. You had heard that, right? Yeah. It was like close to 1400 that were in, you know, detention in our facilities down by the border and they've been released to us, uh, cities and they're convicted criminals, illegal aliens that have been convicted of crimes. We don't know what type of crimes I'm imagining they vary. But we're letting these people into the country. No problem. See you later. And there was something else, I believe, that was um, caught my eye the other day about there was a large amount of illegals released without any court dates. 
Wow. Uh, they were they were looking at at those numbers. I'd have to go back and look, but I saw whole, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. The whole criminal thing boggles my mind because, and of course, the mainstream media doesn't cover it, but you see it in other news sources where, oh, you know, um, uh, husband and wife murdered. Oh, it was an illegal alien. Oh, this one, uh, this family got wiped out by a drunk driver. It was an illegal alien. Um, and I, I'm not a hundred percent sure. And uh, who, who, he, you know, he became a a, a good friend. But um, Sheriff Mark Lamb from Pinal County, Arizona, literally just lost his son, his wow. one-year-old granddaughter. And then a few days later, his mother-in-law, the daughter, the whole, the whole family wiped out. And I believe it was from um, a drunk driver who I, I believe was an, also an illegal alien. Yep. And, you know, it's just it's wild. And now we're just there the Biden regime. Yeah, there's 1400 or more of them. Let's just release them. I mean, the country's big. They'll just kind of blend in. It's not a big deal. Hopefully they'll just end up in cashless bail areas that are run by Democrats and, you know, they can commit all the crimes they want. Yeah, Horrible. It's, it's funny they mentioned that. They, they they just blend in until they run your family off the road into a telephone pole and they never come home again. Or slit your college-age daughter's throat on a college campus because they infiltrated it just because they, they're feeling a little rapey and throat slitty. Yeah. yeah. That actually happened to, uh, years ago, a client of mine. Um, her daughter, uh, who I had met, and then um, I, I, all of a sudden, I see it, uh, and and he was, she was killed on 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 a college campus by, by 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 some illegal. Like it was wow. just just wild. Just yeah, I'm just gonna slice her throat because why not? And was stalking her for a little while. It's it's just crazy the amount of stuff mm. going on with these illegal aliens and the, and the and the crime. I'm not saying all illegal aliens are criminals. No, you know someone yeah. will someone will listen to this and say, "Listen to this white supremacist Nazi." No, it's Happening these people are criminals. That yeah, we always one, have to we always have yeah. to put that caveat in there, but we shouldn't have to. It's like no, obviously, every time they they want to talk down to us and make us look bad, they're going to call us white supremacists and that's just mm -hmm. the total disinformation on the Marxist side is you're going to call them the worst thing possible to make them all look bad. But when you're talking about this stuff, it's like you're, you're talking about facts. Like there yeah. are a large percentage of criminals that are being just soaked into society right now. It's crazy. But these people are also from different cultures and yep. different they don't have the same morals and values and problem solving skills. Exactly. And a lot of them are low IQ people that are not the best of the best, no education. And like I said, you know, their culture and where they come from is not as civilized as yeah. we, they don't care. And they look at us like way different. I, I mean, yeah. it is what it is. And that's the hard truth. You know, I'm not saying every single immigrant that comes in, you know, obviously, like we said, they're not all bad, but a lot of them don't have the same thought process as us. And yeah, well, you know, our I, ruling criminal class doesn't hang people from bridge with narco messages. That's true. <laughs> and I mean, we've we've seen it throughout, uh, you know, a lot of mainland Europe and, and in the UK over the last two decades. Like a lot of those migrants who were allowed to come in unabated from places like Africa and the Middle East, like the sense of entitlement now, how they have literally I mean, Guest, guest on the show today, Raheem Kassam, wrote the book No-Go Zones, and it's a best-selling book talking about how places in England that he grew up admiring no longer exist because of the migrant problem there. And it, I, I know the United States is 
so much bigger than places like the UK, but to think we're not putting ourselves in a situation due to the amount of people that we've let in here over the course of the last 50, 60 years, Mm -hmm. it's going to eventually get to that. It's already like that. Like there are places in California, I wouldn't call them no-go zones, but when you drive out to those remote places between like, you know, you're going from where we're down in San Diego heading towards Vegas and you drive out to like Chow Chill, it's completely nothing except like whatever people were, put there after they immigrated to the United States. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, all you see is is it's like driving through a different culture. Antoinette, you got family up in Michigan. I mean. Yeah, they're born. They're born. I like that. I mean, maybe like 15, 20 years ago even, it was really bad. I can't even imagine what it looks like now. I couldn't even walk the street down Dearborn. I went down for like an appointment for, I forgot what it was exactly, but I was getting accosted and harassed by these very radical Islamic dudes because I didn't have a hijab. They thought I was, they thought I was Arabic or something. And I'm like, get the fuck away from me. I'm Albanian. (laughs) And then even in England, my husband's from, from England. When I went to visit about four or five years ago, I went to Harrods, like one of the most beautiful, popular, like department stores. I thought I literally, I thought I was in Saudi Arabia. Mm. It, It was unbelievable. It was crazy. Like, you don't recognize it. It doesn't like it. Like just like France is not France anymore. Yep. England is right. literally call it a London stand. <laughs> big parts of big parts of Germany, and you know, it's not like the United States is best known for being able to like live and work and thrive alongside anybody. But when you're doing it this way, where there's no process, there's no vetting, there's no assimilation to like American traditions, culture, history, or anything like that. It's if you can get here. Put your hand out and never not leave it. Here you are. Yeah. You will get right. everything forever. And when you don't, that's when you be bad. And and that's literally like the stuff we saw in, in the summer. They had locked those people up for over a year. And when that, you know, Tinder finally kicked off and, and the country exploded in the summer of 2020, you saw a lot of people who were frustrated about getting a, a lot of the stuff they were used to getting on a pretty regular basis and not having it for a year. Um, it wasn't all about social justice. It was about literally break, burn, kill, steal, whatever you can because you feel like you're getting your civil rights taken away. A lot of people in the United States right now are getting disenfranchised by all these people that are coming into the United States. We're seeing colleges lower standards. We're seeing businesses lower standards for for social equity. It doesn't matter if you went to Harvard. You could have went to community college. You could still be a big tech CEO. What the fuck are you talking about? You know, you're seeing a lot of failures in big business over the course of the last 10 years because of stuff like social equity, and that all goes back to the root causes of it, which is the migrant process that we've had in, in this country for the last several decades. And, and that's the big play there. Where is this all eventually going to? I saw Kristen Cinema sit down for an interview, the newly independent senator from Arizona, and she was talking about those words that go between the words during this interview in, in regards to tackling this eventual problem and what it's going to look like in Congress. Let's hear her. Our common sense proposal also secures a pathway to citizenship for thousands of Arizonans, of course, known as dreamers, who were brought to this country through no fault of their own as children. Dreamers attend our schools, contribute to our economy, and are valued members of our communities. Our agreement ensures they can stay in Arizona, the only home they've ever known. Our proposal is tough but fair, and I'm certain it will make America a stronger, safer place for all of us. I promise I'll keep working on real solutions to our border and immigration crisis that will keep Arizona communities safe and secure while ensuring migrants are treated fairly and humanely. 
Exactly. Sorry, I could only find the hip-hop version of that clip. I looked for it everywhere. But here's the thing. The moment Republicans cave and go and sit down at the other end of the table with Democrats and want to talk about DACA and giving protections to these illegal immigrant children who were brought here by their illegal immigrant parents and have been raised as fake U.S. citizens for the entirety of their life, not their fault, but not our problem, you are opening up the door to the amnesty that the Biden... Well, and how do you, how do you prove? Like, they're, they're living under the radar as it is. So yeah. How do you prove, like, when did you get here? Like, how do we know you didn't just come here, like, a week and a half ago just because you're like, oh, shit, I'm going to get on that DACA wagon. Exactly. No. It's an excellent point, and, and the fact of the matter is Joe Biden has been much to the credit of Mitch McConnell, a legislative juggernaut. We've talked about it on the show. We talk about it all the time. The annals of history will show it. Asshole. Thank you. <laughs> Regardless of how bad Joe Biden has been as a human being throughout the entirety of his career and how idiotic he's looked as the president of the United States and weak and feckless like an empty suit, mm-hmm. His name will be at the bottom of major pieces of legislation that it's going to take a real big effort to overturn down the road. And that will be a part of his legacy, you know, and signing all this stuff into law. I do feel like the crown jewel, the big one we haven't had yet, is going to be the Biden amnesty. And it's going to be the big grift to the American people that we are getting back to traditional American values. Being a nationalist populist isn't about America first. It's about being America's racist. My amnesty bill will bring all of these people in under the umbrella of things that used to happen at like places like Ellis Island, where all four of my great-grandparents came in at. And, uh, you know, continue to do stuff in that manner. I do feel like there are going to be other small legislative victories for Joe Biden, only because we have Mitch McConnell in the Senate over the course of the next two years. But sometime in the next 10 to 15 months, we will see a presentation of a complete amnesty bill. They might even use it as like, we'll give you everything you want for border security if we can do amnesty for the over 30 millions that are here, including DACA. And that's my biggest fear in regards to this, because what you do is you literally take the American dream and you just give it to somebody instead of having to work for it. Like so many generations that have come here in the past have had to do. Yeah. It's disrespectful for those people that actually came and were the, basically the picture of an immigrant success story where they came, they worked hard, they became a benefit to society. They didn't take anything that they weren't absolutely required to take or had to survive and just made something of themselves. It's disrespectful to them and it's, I don't know, it's just, it's irritating that that's even a thing. I remember nah. when a lot of my family that are immigrants, because I'm first generation, yep. with my parents, they were so happy to be in America when they went to go, you know, for the interview to get their American citizenship. They studied so hard. They they were just super, my, my people, Albanians, are already very patriotic, but when they came to America, they understood how special and how what a privilege it was. And I'll never forget a lot of my aunts and uncles too. We would celebrate when they would go in for, you know, their kind of like an inauguration into the United States, you know, we're getting their passports and passing the test. And, and it was, that's, that's how it should be. And these Mm -hmm. people like, and they never took anything from the government. They came here for for the opportunity and for the freedom because they came from socialism and communism yep. and they knew exactly like how lucky they were. And it's such a slap in the face to see what's happening now. And 
it's, you know. Well, you barely even need to know English now to become a citizen, right? Yeah. I, yeah, it's yeah. disgusting. My mom studied English so, like, hardcore before her and my father came to America just so she would know how to communicate. And my dad learned when he was here, he knew the bad words first only. <laughs> well, I, I think that's how it is for everybody in every other language. But still, I mean, it's just sad to see. And, it, and it's it's so, you know, insulting you know, to, to my parents and then even to my children now to see migrant yep. kids get in school for free when we pay a shit ton of money to make sure they get the best education. We pay tons of taxes, rent and, and everything. Well, you know, well, well that's the them. thing too, Antoinette. You, now you have, we're paying all this stuff as U.S. citizens, as people who live in neighborhoods where there's taxes per kid and all this stuff. You know, right. every, every, everything's tied into it, the homeowners association and all that stuff, just just to make it like to where are there are good schools and neighborhoods where we could send our kids. But the fact of the matter is now you're having these uh, kids of illegals who are getting forced into school districts all over the country. And there's dramatic evidence right now that shows those kids, because of the needs that they have, not being assimilated to American culture, language is going to be always second. They're bringing down test scores nationally. Yeah, and my daughter, my daughter works her ass off and is in all AP classes. And now they're trying to lower the standards for some of the kids that they because they need to uh, let let some kids from like you know, um, you know the communities are not so good and whatnot. And it's ugh, it's so oh it's bad, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge. I'm a huge proponent of school choice, but fact of the matter is if you're going to have school choice, like let's say you, you live in a not so great neighborhood, you want to send your kid to a nicer school and a nicer, your kid better be able to do the work. I mean, yeah, you're sending them to the place where they're going to get the support structure, then you better take advantage of it. Yeah. And I don't want some ghetto kids from like the hood going to my daughter's private school. Just to go. Just to go, not doing shit and getting passes for everything. Yep. And causing trouble and God forbid hurting my kid or somebody else's kid, you know, that don't know that lifestyle. Just it's it worries me and I just hope it doesn't get worse. I just want to do hood rat stuff with my friends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that uh, Biden amnesty uh debacle that you just uh laid out, Roan, would be the best re-election platform for the Biden regime. And they could perfectly time it, and they could probably get these establishment Republican cucks to bend the knee if they make the right promises and the right deals, which is just unbelievably disgusting because you know, it's there. You have Congress congressman elects putting their name on, on, on letters vowing to bend the knee to Kevin McCarthy, who hasn't even really hasn't stepped foot in the congressional chamber on official business yet. I mean, it's unbelievable. No, it is. And uh, you know, the fact of the matter is, is, the people who are at the direction of this, obviously, who's ever controlling Joe Biden, the people around him, you know, you have the Susan Rices and the Jake Sullivan's and all those people who have come and gone through places like DHS and the DNI, the Department of Justice, who are saying that we can get away with this, are getting away with it right now. And, and you know, for as many congressional hearings as he's been to, there's been no accountability for Alejandro Mayorkas, except for the couple of times that he's decided to go down to the border and get crapped on by the rank and file. So <laughs> No, they got him good, too. I did see, well... Democrat House Representative Veronica Escobar, she was on the news the other day, and she was singing his high praises. I really didn't believe it, and you probably won't either, but let's hear. How do you feel about how the Biden administration has been handling the surge? Is there a comprehensive policy, a strategy? Where do the Democrats stand? Are you guys united on this? The Secretary Mayorkas has been doing absolutely everything he possibly can. He's been oh, uh, really a, a key 
uh, leader on this, on helping communities like El Paso. But, you know, again, legislation, and it's going to take a multifaceted approach. Uh, the Biden administration, I think, needs to really also mobilize the State Department in the same way that the Department of Homeland Security has been mobilized. This is a Western Hemispheric refugee crisis of historic proportions. Well, I mean, the second part's right. Wow. You know, mobilizing the State Department means fire No, I don't mean that. Cards. I just mean the epic proportions of yeah. that part. Yeah. Yeah. Mobilizing the State Department. Fire up the green cards. Yep. Fire up the work authorizations. Fire up the free shit. Green cards like printing cash. It's going to be just everybody gets a green card. It, it's it's uh, Unless you're waiting in line already and you're already in the queue because yeah. you did everything properly. Then you're you you're you're behind everybody else. Like, hey, guess what? Now you're going to have to wait 15 years for your status while these other people just get bumped ahead of the line to cut. Mm. Very alarming. And what's more alarming is, is that, you know, Republicans after this huge win for Joe Biden with the passing of the omnibus bill and basically taking an entire budgetary year out of the newly elected Republican majority in the House does is it puts the spotlight back on them. Kevin McCarthy could not stand up to Mitch McConnell in this. And, you know, in addition to that, we've, we've got other battles going on for the GOP chairship, which is currently held by Ronna McDaniel. Resounding failure throughout the course of her career. Man, I saw some people really coming in in my comments on Twitter over the last couple of days. Uh, Madison Jesioto yesterday, who was a Trump-endorsed America First supposedly House candidate that lost her race and I believe, Illinois, you know, she went out and was like, a lot of people don't understand how things work. Like, there's a lot of problems with the establishment GOP, but it's not. No, hmm. can, can you give me a good one? Oh, thank you. Ronna McDaniel. And I was just like, what are you talking about? Yes, it fucking is. Yes, it is. It's a, um, it's a major problem. So Major. Um, she, she's so deeply entrenched with the consultants, with the vendors, with the delegates. She's set up a apparatus around oh, herself. Oh, come on. I know. If, it wouldn't be the 200th <laughs> show if we didn't. Thank you. If we didn't Asshole. drop at least one. Two of them? <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, you know, She's running for an unprecedented fourth term. Uh, usually the terms go in pairs. And after riding that wave of the Donald Trump victory in Michigan in 2016, she's really done nothing except win a couple dozen House seats. Mm -hmm. She hasn't done anything to help out the Senate, in my opinion. We've lost it twice since she's been the GOP chairwoman. And in, in regards to just leadership overall, I don't think she has any power over Mitch McConnell or Kevin McCarthy who, or whoever's going to be the Republican Speaker of the House. What do you guys think? Yeah, no. No, oh, I agree with you. I just, oh, I want to get rid of them all. I know. I, it literally is such a corrupt system, and they need to just route the entire, entire upper level of government and just be like, you know what? You guys are all getting fat, getting rich, mm. taking yeah. advantage, doing she things that are bad for the country because it's good for you because, what, you're going to move to your fucking vacation home in Italy when shit goes bad here and it's not going to fucking matter to you or Juniper, Florida, if you're Nancy, Pelosi. Yeah, it, yeah, it's, and for the, the record, start from scratch. <laughs> Ronna McDaniel's gotten thinner and has gotten Botox. So, I, I mean, I know you were saying She's getting fat. She's a pig. I, mean, I meant fatter lips. Oh, I'm, there you go. And, oh, and a stiff, scissor me timbers. And a stiff bottom, forehead. Uh, <sighs> so bottom line is Republicans should be doing everything. The opposite of what Mitch McConnell, Kevin McCarthy and Rona Mc. Donald Pants wants and supports. <laughs> I mean, they're, exactly. they're just toxic, 
And Not the Uniparty hates you, people. The Uniparty hates you. They don't care. They just want power. They want your that's votes. It. They want power. That's it. And uh, we're going to hear a brief clip from part of the triad of McLeadership and her talking about her government McValue menu mm. as <laughs> – guest on the show a little bit later Raheem Kassam will probably rehash for us but we're going to hear this clip and then we're going to jump right into it with our first guest who's going to be the lovely Miss Christina Bob. A lot of these Democrats who ran as moderates who said I'm going to work with Republicans and they're going to show their real colors right now that they're in Congress we're going to see their progressive agenda like we've seen with so many Democrats who run as one thing and then govern as something different but everyone should be celebrating right now that we did take back the house mm. it means Maxine Waters will not be the head of financial services it means that Ilhan Omar will no longer be on the foreign relations committee we are not going to allow these progressive Democrats to take the reins of power because Democrats Republicans did take back the house we did retire nancy pelosi and that is a very very good thing for checks and balances on this biden administration all right joining us first on our 200th edition of the steak for breakfast podcast she is a, an attorney for trump 2024 campaign one of our great friends coming back in hot here miss christina bob thanks for joining us on the show thank you so much for having me always a pleasure no the pleasure is all ours how's everything going on your end i hope you had a merry christmas we're just uh two days before the new year here and we're glad to have you I'm so excited to be here. Things have been good. You know, today I'm looking forward to 2023 and, um, you know, getting off to the races, but excited for all that to really get going. And that is something that, that a lot of people are speculating. I mean, we've always been kind of, you know, playing it by ear here on the show, but when you just look at the chronological timeline and there's still 680 some odd days before we go to the ballot box in 2024, we know that probably once the new year holiday is over and everybody gets back to work, president Trump's going to be hitting it hard. I'm, I'm, Pretty sure that's the plan moving forward, right? I think so. Yeah, I think he's very serious about saving America and making America great again. He has every intention of doing that, and he is putting together a great campaign to do that. And uh, he's well aware that he will have more opposition than any other candidate because he is the only true candidate who actually does want to make America great again and uh, wants to return the power of the American government back to the American people where it's supposed to be. Um, so he will have a lot of opposition. So he's going to start going for it. No, I agree. And it seems like for all those who were, you know, taking pot shots from the outer rim and saying he wasn't being active enough since his campaign announcement, some of those policy-driven videos that he's launched uh, officially over the course of his social medias over the past couple of weeks, they've all been pretty amazing. Everything from stuff related to the economy, obviously hitting the Biden crime family a little bit, but then, you know, his stance on immigration, which it seems like it's going to be a little bit stronger based off the current situation down there at the border now, which yep. we're going to touch on in a bit. Yep. You're exactly right. And I think he also knows that, you know, Christmas and Thanksgiving and New Year's and all the holidays we've been celebrating uh, belong with family. And, you know, he honors that and respects that. And he does that with his own family. So we're, we're going to get off to the races here pretty shortly. Yeah, everything that I've heard indicates that there's been a lot of work going on down at Mar-a-Lago, and I can only expect the work's going to pick up now once we hit the new year. So you've got a new book coming out, and uh, we're extremely excited for it. I know Noah and I pre-ordered it, and we're excited to have a copy here in the studio, mm -hmm. and uh, you're going to autograph it for us next time we see you mm -hmm. as well. But we teased a little bit last time. You want to you wanna kind of give some insight into uh, – you know, just what the premise was and, and maybe a little backstory on, on what kind of drove you to, you know, finally sit down and, and take a good hard look at everything that's happened and why you wanted to get this book out to the American people. 
Yeah, thank you. It's called Stealing Your Vote, The Inside Story of the 2020 Election and What It Means for 2024. And the, the true narrative just hasn't been told. It's been told in bits and pieces, and uh, we've been fighting to get it out. Some networks have been more favorable than others as far as actually telling the truth about what happened. So um, I, I just wanted to write out my experience. It's written first person. You come along with me on everything that I investigated and uncovered and um, good, bad, the ugly, both Republicans and Democrats. Quite honestly, I think it probably hit Republicans harder than I do Democrats in the book. Um, because we had, we had the ability to stop it. We, we had the ability to correct it. And it was because of Republicans that we didn't. So, um, actually my editor, it was fun. My editor actually told, he wrote, wrote me a note from the publisher and he was like, I don't think this is right. There's one specific stat in there. He's like, I don't think this is right. I, I need to fact check you on this because I, I think you're wrong. <laughs> he came back to me like a day or two later and was like, holy cow, I can't believe this is accurate. And I was like, it's accurate. Yeah, it's like, who are you so, talking to? Come on. <laughs> yeah, I was like, no, it's it's right. So he he tried to fact check me and realized I was right. So um, it's, it's pretty shocking, but I, I hope it educates the American people and I hope uh, they have a better understanding of what has transpired and that they see themselves in the book so that they can get involved and uh, help correct it. Ironically enough, that's actually how the real fact checkers work too. They just go with their what they think. But he actually went, <laughs> he actually went and tried to see if he was right or not. not he that's he the difference. A step further. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. He actually he, he actually write, did fact check. I need it. to yeah. I need to fact check you. That is not how it is. <laughs> Very well, true. No, I, I I like it, and and you know what a lot of people don't understand who maybe just casually follow politics or don't understand when they hear things about like the elections are rigged. Sometimes they're stolen. Uh, there's all this stuff that happens, you know, they go to court then they see like people who challenge elections usually don't win. That doesn't have anything to do on whether or not there was any, uh, you know, inappropriateness with the elections or the way it was yeah. ran. It has everything to do with like, Honestly, when it comes down to it, the courage of a judge to do something that's that's pretty unprecedented when you talk about statewide or even federal elections. And and, and I think that's a big part that that a lot of people are missing on. Like they would they would not only set a new standard and precedent, but the fact of the matter is there would probably be a pretty rowdy response if a federal judge did agree with someone who said an election was rigged or stolen against them and then has, you know, evidence that would at least make you take a little bit more of a forensic look at it. And then, and then when you get into it, judges just don't want to be the person who has to worry about people standing outside of their house for six months or maybe targeting their family or maybe even targeting mm -hmm. them. And and I do think that's like when you look at the way these cases all pan out, I do think that's a lot of the, the big reason why we haven't seen any, you know, huge developments in any kind of election being overturned. Because, listen, there's just so many things that. It happens once, it's fine. It happens like the 50th time and it's like, okay. You know, and, and the, yeah. the, the legacy media has taken such a good opportunity on that just to like demonize it. They call people like election deniers and say like, they'll name a candidate and say whose several cases were thrown out of federal court, but they won't say because it's for lack of standing or lack of evidence, they just stop right there. And then they'll like cut real quick to a footage of like the Capitol on January 6th and be <laughs> like, oh, you know how all these people are. And it's just like, come on guys. <laughs> Yeah, no, you're right. We have a, a pandemic of cowardice and um, I don't, you know, Mike Lindell always says, oh, our, you know, our judges are going to become courageous and they're going to do the right thing. And I love Mike Lindell and I do not ever want to say anything contradicting to Mike Lindell, but I don't have as much faith in our judges. I think it's going to come from the American people who step up and actually just make it happen in your own local area, get involved at your precinct level, get involved at your county 
Um, it, it will take all of us to write this ship. And, uh, and I, when I say write the ship, I don't even mean going conservative or becoming Republican. I mean, just getting the corruption out. I don't care if you have, you know, liberal values or conservative values. The reality is our government has been taken from us. Like our government has been seized by a group of radicals, both Democrats and Republicans. And, uh, yeah. So anyway, it's available for pre-order if you want to get it. Oh, no. We're going to be linking it in the show description every single time you're on between now and then, and you will be back for your official book launch date after after War Room, but still on the same day on the 24th. (laughs) So Again? Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I went to see if all these guys that are coming on our show today were on War Room today. They weren't, but the new pod team was on like back to back to back on there. Uh, this morning, so it was kind of like not a slap in our face, slapping somebody else's face. So no, just... it's not a slap in your face. You guys are cutting edge. You and Steve Bannon are very much right, talking about the right issues at the right time, and you book the same people on the same days. On the same days, <laughs> I love it. No, you're the Christina. This is why we love you so much. You're you're like a ray of sunshine in our well. <laughs> I mean, you could see our podcast studio. It's pretty dark in here, minus the Christmas lights. But it's awesome. I, I think I, every guy would salivate over your room if they could see it. Good job, Noah. Yeah, there you go. It's like a dude. It's definitely a dude's podcast. Right, don't yeah. let Fleckus hear that. I heard he builds a pretty mean podcast studio. No, well, you know, it happens. It's the man cave inside the man cave. True story. <laughs> yeah. It certainly is. And uh, I do want to kind of stick in the same thread, Christina, before we talk to anything else. Since we're talking about elections, it's related to your book. We have had some verdicts come out, some in the last 24 hours, more a little bit dated, maybe a week or so, regarding the Kerry Lake lawsuit and then the Abe Hamaday recount. What what are you seeing uh, some of the big things? I mean, we've talked about it briefly on the show, why we thought it was going to go this way. We kind of predicted it to be happening Mm -hmm. this way. Unfortunately, we, we try to like live in a reality and as much as we want to hype up the the quality of these candidates how strong of races they ran and that they should in fact be the attorney general and governor of arizona once we saw the the vote certified we almost knew in our hearts that this is only going to go one way and they're going to try and make it look as bad as possible but what are you seeing now that carrie lake has received a verdict before appeals and then abe homiday's recount numbers came down yesterday um i i think I mean, I mean, I'm frustrated the same way everybody else is frustrated and that sure. I believe Carrie Lake won. I believe Abe Hamaday won. I actually think there's a chance that Mark Fincham and Blake Masters won as well. Of course, uh, their numbers were a much farther margin. Um, but the problem that we're having is the lack of transparency. And to your point, the judges don't want to be the ones to force the transparency. And, you know, you had the the question come out in Abe Hamaday. Oh, look, there was another county that found a whole bunch of Abe Hamaday votes that originally weren't counted. But then Katie Hobbs held withheld them for a while and wouldn't let us see the outcome. Like we can't see what's actually going on. And so um, I obviously have concerns over the state of Arizona and what's happening there and that they've been hijacked by, uh, a, quite honestly, if I could say it, I'm just going to call it a criminal organization. Yeah. It is an, a very well orchestrated criminal organization that has now taken over the state of Arizona. Um, among other states, probably. Um, and I don't think I don't think the solution will come from the judges. Maybe the Arizona Supreme Court. Who knows? You know, uh, I I don't know what will come after this. What what'll play out? But I think it comes down to, and I think the people of Arizona did a good job. We just need more um, people getting involved and really holding the line down at the very very local level, down at the precinct level. And I do think we've done a good job in modifying some of the things 
getting better people in there to provide oversight, to run some of these, you know, systems and stuff like that. But when I just saw it kind of playing out, you had like the, the discrepancy in the ballot size, 19 versus 20 inch. You had the amount of machines that didn't work on election day. You had people that, you know, potentially didn't get to vote because poll setters didn't let them after a certain time or the lines were so long. People who either had time off from work were going in early or coming out late. Yeah, and then they lied under oath. They lied about what they were doing. Yeah, they lied about who worked there. Yeah, yes. There's no doubt in my mind that they needed all of those steps in order to steal this race from all of the Trump candidates, quite honestly. Um, What they, that's why I call it a criminal organization. They have this thing orchestrated precisely in order to be able to steal this election. So I think we need to get more people working at the county, more people working in the secretary of state's office, more people working in the ballot companies and more people working at the printers and people who are just honest. I don't care if you're a Republican or Democrat, as long as you're honest and you want to actually have a say in your elections, go apply in Maricopa County and go work or Pinal County or Pima County or wherever. um, And, and just work to make sure that your government is being honest because you might be happy. You might actually, I don't think there's very many people that do, but let's say, let's pretend for a second that you actually want Katie Hobbs to be the governor. Okay. Well, what about the next race or the race after that, or the race after that, when you don't want them to be the governor, but because you looked the other way this time, now you don't have that voice anymore. It's so important. It's so, so important for people to keep their voice. And the only way they do that is by getting involved. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of the biggest comparisons. I, I think one of the best points you made last time you were on the show was you were talking about a lot of the voting changes that Ron DeSantis uh, made yep. down in Florida and how easy it is for someone like a popular candidate like himself in state can just roll to reelection like he did this time because of a lot of the things he set up there. Now let's just say a popular Democrat comes in and it's like Republicans aren't just historically, they never have. So I know they for surely won't just go out and rechange all the laws back to make it a more competitive race. Those are going to be the new precedent in ways we run elections in Florida. And if you get someone with like, you know, uh, initial Obama candidacy run where he could just like Pied Piper the people, it's going to be pretty disastrous for one of our most important swing states in Arizona in a lot of ways. It's just so funny. I mean, still counting votes from election day three weeks out, is just like in, in a swing state that's critical to any presidential election over the last 40, 50 yeah. years is to me just blows my mind, but that's neither here nor there. We're going to see where this goes. I hope Carrie Lake's appeal gets a little bit more time than the, than the very limited amount they had in their first hearing. And I, I hope Abe Hamaday continues to investigate because that vote total right now, I mean, it, it it's minuscule compared to what uh, originally I thought it was going to be. I want to stay in the same state kind of, but, but change gears here. Now, we've seen a lot of developments happen on the U.S. southern border over the last month. It was one of the things that Republicans failed to get anything done on, but definitely cried about a lot as Mitch McConnell plowed that omnibus through last week that was signed yesterday. Um, I mean, you've worked in the Department of Homeland Security in in, in a past life and and have definitely seen. I mean, we had uh, Tom Holman on last week, and he said... When Jay Johnson was the secretary of DHS, if they had anywhere between 800 and 1,000 people cross the border in like one day, it would be like, didn't care if it was 3 o'clock in the morning, everybody was on a conference call, and he wanted to know what the hell was going on. 233,000 people plus crossed just last month, and it's getting like close to 700,000 just since October now, with like anywhere between seven and 10,000 mm-hmm. people pouring in a day. DPS is there setting up barbed wire. The National Guard is deployed on the other side of the canal. And the Supreme Court, surprisingly, has had to come in and, like, stop the Biden administration from 
taking this Trump era policy, which Alejandro Mayorkas, the head of DHS, has punched a lot of holes in, but still stands somewhat uh, to allow us to return some of the people who don't qualify, and that's a very select few, to just be released into the country. What are you seeing right now? And, and, and now with the newest stay, which says the Biden administration has to come up with a comprehensive plan, they rejected Alejandro Mayorkas' six-point plan to make it more humane by this coming February, but the stay could stay in place until June for operational purposes. What do you think? And uh, where do you think this is going to go? Do you think we, we get to over that 5 million number that, that Donald Trump has said we're going to get to in, in fiscal year 23? Or are we going to do something to kind of stop this? No, it's going to only get worse. And yes, I do think that Donald Trump will be proven right yet again. I think looking at what they're doing, they're getting the results that they want. I don't know how anybody can objectively look at this border situation and think that they are not getting exactly the results that they want, because it would not be that hard to get slightly better results. I'm not even talking about fixing it. Okay. We've got a border crisis that we need to fix. Maybe it's super challenging. Okay. It would not be hard to improve upon our current situation and they're not doing it and they're not doing it because they don't want to do it because they're trying to change the demographic of the United States to create a slave class. And I mean that in every sense of the word, and it will be American citizens that are, that become the slaves to this, this globalist utopia, because Mm -hmm. they're going to use citizens to do it because it's going to be taxpayers. These illegals aren't paying taxes, but yet they're going to grant them the right to vote, or they're going to try to grant them the right to vote, or they're going to, they're going to do what they can to empower these people who have invaded our country. And we will be forced to pay taxes and supplement whatever type of crazy programs they're putting together for them. Yeah, they'll be getting money, but they won't be paying it. (laughs) Right. We'll be paying it. Those of us that are lawful law abiding citizens will be paying it. And, and yet they're going to give all of the power to determine who's in power to these illegals to fund their or to propel their globalist utopia of like having a, a dictatorship over the United States of America. So they're getting the results they want. And I think it's naive or just flat out stupid of anybody to look at this and be like, well, they're trying. No, they're not. Mm-mm. They're not. They're getting exactly what they want. What what was what was Mayorkas's like six point plan? Uh, so we're actually going to be issuing uh, blindfolds for the Border Patrol agents at the border. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and the tail and the donkey. There's going to be a, a new rule if uh, you have to apprehend someone in a, a foot pursuit. Uh, you have to uh, spin around 19 times on a baseball <laughs> bat before you uh, begin to run. Didn't they just release like 1,400 convicted criminals uh, yes. illegal that, that, in, into u.s cities they were literally in in detention in in our country and they just is hey, 1400 convicted criminals all illegals here illegally just release them yes so, that yeah. sounds perfectly reasonable that, yes. was, that was just in the last week that broke yesterday like yeah it gets lost it, it gets lost in the numbers and uh you know it, it's it, so painful to see like it is physically painful to see what they're doing to this country it's it's really sad i mean the the deal breaker should be the amount of legitimate people that are on terror watch list that they're apprehending or not apprehending. Or, well, that's the thing. It's like, <laughs> right. If, but the people that they're putting on terror watch lists are like parents at school boards. Well, I okay. mean, <laughs> yeah, like, I'm on, I'm on a list. We're I'm not apprehending those ones. On a few lists. I am on a list. I was watching, uh, I walked into my bedroom yesterday and my wife was getting ready for bed and she had on that, that like sitcom drama FBI and they were like all in the office, like gearing up tactical helmets and stuff. And I like walked past the TV and I was like, what are they doing? Getting ready to go to a Trump rally? Yeah. <laughs> are they going to a school board meeting? A school board meeting. Yeah. 
So <laughs> no, it, it's it's crazy. And Somebody selling lemonade without a license? <laughs> yeah. And Christina, one of the things we've reported on more than anyone, you know, we put out a pretty comprehensive Substack. We've talked to people within some of these organizations over the course of the last year, year and a half in our coverage of this. We've had some of the best people who are on the ground, like Jorge Ventura from the Daily Caller, who's done everything from like the Summer of Love to January 6th, the Uvalde shooting, and now he's, you know, one of the best border correspondents out there. The amount of people in, in, in you know, the agencies who protect our border, let's just say in Border Patrol, just this year were over 80 deaths, line of duty, which include 14 suicides, two murders, and, and you don't hear about it on the news anywhere. And it's just like, you know, we all know the Biden administration tried to demonize these people with the horse whipping thing that everybody knew wasn't a horse whipping thing back in the day. But we're talking about numbers that are in the last couple of years outnumbered the 10 years prior of line of mm -hmm. duty deaths. And that's because of work exhaustion, exposure to diseases of the third world. And in some cases, like I said, some people are murdered. Plus, suicide rates within within at just at least that agency are, are astronomical compared to years past. You would have anywhere between, like, one and three, and this year there's already 14. I know there's only two days left in, in this calendar year, but that's 14 too many, you know? And, yeah. and it's just like these guys, I saw some of the uh, transcript from the last time Mayorkas went down to El Paso about two weeks ago, and, and one of the Border Patrol managers told him, you, you can't go down there because you can't look these people in the face anymore. Like, they destroyed you last time you went down there, the rank and file— and it's gotten so much worse. The manager was like, I go to work every day and look in these people's faces. They look like soulless zombies. And, and, mm -hmm. and that's part of the reality of the people who are working down there. It's not even like, yeah, it's sad. You know, people are drowning or getting left out in the middle of nowhere. Small children are getting hurt or dying when they're crossing. But the people Rates. that actually like our people who are trying to protect this country, the deaths are off the chart this year. Man, that, again, is really painful to hear. And it goes to show that, particularly in this situation, Democrats are not the party of compassion. They've been telling us for 10 years, oh, they're compassionate, they're kind, they're the party of love, they're the party of peace and equity. No, they are not. They are, they're evil and they're, they do not care if people die so long as they get to keep their power. And that's exactly what you're seeing on the border. They don't care about children drowning in the river. They don't care about people getting gang raped or, you know, sold into prostitution to be able to come to the United States. Oh, by the way, thank you, HHS, for being a human trafficking hub mm -hmm. for, yeah. my, for children's sex trafficking. I mean... What, what they're doing is flat out evil. There's nothing compassionate about it. There's nothing good about it. There's nothing kind and loving. It is flat out evil. And until the media gets out of the way, because I think a lot of people can't see it. They don't understand. Like a lot of people that I come into contact with and, you know, I cross paths with and we'll just chat with them about current events. A lot of them genuinely don't understand. They know I work in politics. They know I, you know, I'm familiar with government and current events. And so they are tentative to talk to me like, well, what do you think about it? You know, because they don't know. They don't have confidence in in what's actually happening because they know the media is lying to them, yep. but they yep. don't know what the truth is. And and thank God for podcasts like Steak for Breakfast and The Great Divide because um, <laughs> you guys are the ones that are, are the voice and actually telling people what's actually happening, but we don't have enough people doing that. Yeah, and, and it's true. I, I was seeing some polls on Fox News yesterday. We had reported a couple of weeks ago that, you know, I, I talked to somebody within ICE and, and, you know, they're pretty high up. And I said, 
how are numbers looking this year in regards to like removals, deportations? And he's like, Oh, off the mm-hmm. charts. This is like one of the highest years for deportations in the history of ice. And I was like, really? So then I like, we, we were just BSing about, you know, family and stuff like that. And I was like, okay, so how about in regards to like, when you do the numbers, like, so when Donald Trump came in, let's just say 250,000 people tried to come in, you removed X amount of people during like the height of the border being closed in the Trump administration. What about when like, 3.5 million people. Have, he's like, oh, no, when you do it per capita, it's like we're at all-time lows in comparison yeah. to the number of people. I mean, they removed 400,000 people last year, but 3.5 million people came in, not yeah. including getaways. So the, the numbers are absolutely crazy, and uh, it, it's really scary. But, uh, you know, we're hoping to see that. It, listen, I got really bummed after this omnibus pass, after we saw how much power Mitch McConnell still has, how much power – Kevin McCarthy can't control yet in the House if he's going to become the Speaker. There has to be some kind of a change on both ends. From all the other people that we love to see on TV, the Rand Pauls, the Ted Cruz's, the Ron Johnson's in the Senate, and then down in the House, the people that are all splitting the, the power down there right now at some point need to come together because we allowed this thing to pass. Fine that it passed. We keep the lights on, but not getting any border protections in there, I think it's a huge loss for Republicans across the board and something we're definitely going to have to make up in the, in the new year. Christina, last thing I wanted to touch with you on was We've seen some of the stuff that's come out from the Twitter files all the way from the beginning. We know every federal agency mm-hmm. on the planet and their mother is somehow censoring conservatives, nuking accounts. It's like they almost have Internet cafe hour like once a week at the height of this <laughs> yeah. stuff, which led into the 2020 election. But the, the fact of the matter is we've seen a lot of stuff come out regarding like the repression of the Hunter Biden laptop. We, we, we played a clip mm-hmm. from Rudy Giuliani, who sat down with OAN last week and gave a really good interview on how. This scandal of repressing this before a presidential election and to the levels it went outweigh a lot of the things that he saw with the mob, with the Colombian cartel, and with the planning that went into on-the-ground logistics due to 9-11. That's Rudy Giuliani's words, not mine. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the the fact of the matter, Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, and friends, they're all on vacation right now in St. Croix. So much to the point, they had to fly the omnibus down to St. Croix for him to sign it. And that was awesome because— I didn't know that. Everybody everybody else is stranded at the airport and— that thing needs a signature, so that happened yesterday. But what are some of the things that you saw that were biggest eye-openers for you? I mean, obviously, we all roll our eyes when we see, like, the FBI was contacting Twitter yeah. and telling them to, like, nuke accounts. Oh. Exactly. But, you know, <laughs> some of the things, like, reading between the lines, someone who's, like, been in the arena and knows exactly what's going on, what is the public missing out when they're hearing, like, the drive-by headlines? Well, I think what the media is missing out on is – the Hunter Biden laptop was real. Mm-hmm. It's legitimate and it's authentic. And everyone's going, oh, they suppressed it. They rigged the election and they messed with the election. Yes, that's all true. And of course, something that's very close to my art and something I work on. But even more importantly, the laptop is real. Can we talk about the contents? Like, oh, 10 for, 10% for the big guy. Joe Biden's getting 10% of the kickbacks from Ukraine are going into Biden's pocket. Does that include the close to $100 billion that Joe Biden just sent over over the last couple of years to Ukraine? Does he get that 10%? Or what about the child sex trafficking? We saw the DH, or the Homeland Security, Senate Homeland Security report from 2020, where they found that Hunter Biden had ties to sex trafficking, potentially minors through Russia, through Ukraine. Uh, I mean, he's getting money from the mayor of Moscow's wife, we're talking 1.5, I believe it's 1.5 billion with a B dollars from China. This is 
all on the laptop. So like, mm -hmm. yeah, it's really bad that they suppressed it. What's on the laptop is worse considering that is now our current government. That's yeah. the guy that's in the White House right now. Are we going to do anything about that? But everyone's so concerned about releasing Donald Trump's tax returns that yep. have no crime in them. They've been digging through them for years and cannot find a crime. So they're going to release them to the public and hope there's some sleuth out there online who can come up with something that the IRS, the FBI, DOJ, and all the other agencies, Treasury, couldn't find in his tax returns. So when are we going to get to actually talk about reality and not just the fact that the media is lying to us about reality? Yeah, I mean, we've had the FBI blow off the narrative completely and saying, essentially, like, we're the FBI, we spy on people, we we do these things to protect national security. We do whatever security. we want. We don't care who it hurts, even though it's the American people. Yep. And, and then you've seen, like, you know, the Biden administration just kind of like, oh, you know, these things, I'm protected by not having to comment on them, so I'm not going to comment on them. And, yeah, oh, well, they're not going to comment on them because they're going to uh, incriminate themselves. And I'm fully convinced we will retake our government. The United States is not over. We will solve this. And I fully suspect that when we do, and we actually do a real investigation into yep. what has happened, I believe there will be a lot of people who couldn't comment who need to go to jail. Yeah, it'll be like the Twitter files, but government version. I hope so. You yeah. Know, I, can... I mean, that's the only solution to this is yes. the light of day. Everything everything needs to see daylight. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we're all going to get screwed out of this. They're going to keep the border open, turn us all into a bunch of slaves, and where we end up having to serve illegal aliens who invaded our country. No, you're right. I mean, when names who are going to be involved in this start with Jim Jordan and end with James Comer, I'm very optimistic, but there's a lot of work ahead of us. They have to do this the right way. It just can't be, you know, we had Alina Haba on here not too long ago, and she said, I honestly hope we get to the bottom of everything, but I hope it's not just like we're going out trying to, like, get scalps in a way to do it. Like, Let's show the American people that, like, we're not just out for revenge. This was really happening, and people need to be held accountable. And I kind of yeah, like that take. Yeah, this is revenge. It's, it's cleansing. It is a cleansing process for our nation. Our nation can't withstand the corruption that we're currently experiencing. No, it's, it's not. It's like you could literally read somebody a quote from anyone that describes something that's actually going on right now, and you'll have anybody involved with this regime just say, like, well, that's not really happening, or, or we don't look at it the same yeah. way. And and the some borders the, not open. Yeah. Well, mm. <laughs> after that, Ukraine money goes out on. Uh, you know, uh, after January third, we're gonna be up to. Uh, we're adding thirteen more border walls to the current number, which is thirty four. Is the amount of money we've sent over there, and we're gonna be adding thirteen and a half to that next year before any other money is appropriated. Just the forty seven billion dollars that Zelensky came and got from Congress last week. Christina, we want everyone to be able to follow you who's already not. Our first-time listeners today probably enjoyed this segment. I sure as heck did. And uh, anywhere on social media is we're going to live link your book. Pre-order in the show description today as well. Thanks. You can get me on uh, Truth and Getter at Christina Bob or Instagram and Twitter, Christina underscore Bob. Perfect. We'll live link those and uh, direct everybody to be following you because at the end of the day, they should be. This is one of our best friends on steak for breakfast. She's helped make all 200 episodes. Great. She's an attorney for the Trump 2024 campaign and soon to be best-selling author. Miss Christina Bob, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much. All right. Joining us here on our 200th episode of the steak for breakfast podcast. He's the editor in chief of the national polls. He writes one of the best sub stacks you'll ever read. Mr. Raheem Kassam. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. I consider it a great honor, considering that of the 200 episodes, I've, I've only listened to 400, <laughs> which is to say I've listened to all of them about twice over. Um, 
but it's been it's been great to listen to you guys for so long and see how far you've come and um i'm just you know i'm stunned and i think the audience should take this into account as well that that you know the rigidity and the regularity and the commitment that you guys put into the show I think is I think is unsurpassed out there right now. I think you probably have a greater commitment to your audience um, than I've seen out of anybody else. Well, out of all the successes we've had, Raheem, you've been a uh, integral part of that, and we appreciate the fact that you take time out of your often busy schedule to join us. The content's always uh, you know something that's extremely relevant to the things we talk about on the show, which in most cases is America first, even when it's geopolitics. And the fact of the matter is, you know, if you want to have staying power in this game and be relevant, be a voice at the table, then you have to be able to uh, put in the work. And that's something that, like, we, you know, we don't ever often brag about our show, if ever. The fact of the matter is, is that we're here just as much as we're pretty much anywhere else, much to Noah's chagrin. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, we're very happy to have you on our 200th episode today, and uh, we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, I mentioned your Substack in introducing you, and, and the latest one you've put out talks about something that we've had a lot of discussion about on this show. We, you, you know, as well as our listenership does, that we have a lot of Trump adjacents on here, people who work very closely with the 45th president still. In addition to that, we had the opportunity to sit down with Harmeet Dillon, who's running for the RNC chair, uh, just uh, about a week ago, and, and that's that's one of the hot topics right now. It's it's the leadership void in the RNC and the people making plays to get into those leadership positions. I, I like that substack you put out because it kind of addresses a lot of the uh, you know items that go down all of the candidates who are in this race for the chair, but the fact of the matter of, at the end of the day, based off what we've seen just in recent stuff, which I also want to talk to you about later, the omnibus bill, does it even really matter who's in leadership positions right now? Yeah, it's uh, so, so I've been thinking about this for, for some time now. You know, obviously, I was the one who coined McLeadership as a term. And then, you know, I've, I've, I've then since watched everybody kind of running full pelt towards the RNC chairman race as kind of as if that were the most important part of the McLeadership um, uh, triumvirate and, and criticisms thereof. And, and I've been sitting on this this column now in my head uh, for about 10 days, just thinking to myself over and over again, you know, maybe this is my fault. Um, maybe I didn't make it clear enough to people that, that the point of change isn't for change's sake, right? The point of change is, is, is material. Um, it, it has consequences. Um, we have to outline what those, that those are, what those look like, what we expect, not just like, oh, you know, Ronna spends too much money on flowers in her face, and therefore, it, it, look, it's like it's like um, Groundhog Day, right? At the end of Groundhog Day, uh, he wakes up, she says, what's wrong? He goes, I don't know, things seem different. She says, good, different, bad, different. He says, anything different is good, right? But that's not true, is it? <laughs> like, anything different is not good. You don't see the next few days, weeks, months, years of his life. Maybe he would have preferred to go back to Groundhog Day. You know, maybe maybe the change that he actually forced to occur was not real, material, uh, uh, consequential change. And that's what we're talking about. We can't be we can't be, you know, Obama Obamaites about this, where where it's just a slogan and not a, a an actual. Um, um, fully fledged 
uh, you know, material campaign to actually do something different with the RNC. And that and that's why I wrote this column, because it's more important to understand what the RNC is and change what the RNC is than it is to change who's at the head of it. Now, just for the avoidance of any doubt, I, I, I couldn't give a crap about Ronald Romney McDaniel. Uh, you know, I, I hope she gets a zero votes. Um, but I look at the other contestants in that field as well, and I go, mm, not really agents of change. Mike Lindell, agent of chaos, yes, maybe. And and if and if your if your attitude towards something like this is the attitude that so many you know Brexit and Trump voters had, which is not that they necessarily believed in Brexit and Trump in and of themselves as philosophies or, or, or regimens, um, if you're just looking for chaos, then yeah, probably Mike Mindell is your, is your favorite candidate. Um, if, and by the way, to believe in that, to be at that point, I believe you have to have fundamentally given up on those institutions already and not to expect any kind of realistic reform from the inside. And that's a perfectly legitimate position to take. Um, the other one is Harmeet. And for all that Harmi is 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 now red meat, Dylan, right to the base, uh, and 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 tossing things out there that she knows that people want to hear. You have to understand that she has been working hand in hand with Ronna. She has been one, of, and I write in my Substack my experiences with actually trying to get her to do something that, or several things that I thought were well, I knew were going to make material differences, for instance, in the 2020 post-election legal challenges, and she wasn't interested. Um, and, and she has this kind of uh, um, attitude towards all of that. And um, and so I don't see any material change here. So, so unfortunately, I'll say unfortunately, I don't actually, I don't actually feel saddened by any of it because I don't particularly care about the RNC. Um, but we have to have a broader decision, which is, does the RNC continue to operate as the be-all and end-all of Republican campaigns, um, or do we sort of emulate what the left does and shift things away from the centralized nature of, of DC party politics and have outside institutions that are membership driven and membership run and members vote on the policies and members vote on the financing and all of that kind of thing. And, and I think probably we will move on uh, from from a centralized partisan thing. So so for me, it's not who runs the RNC, it's what the RNC does. And I don't think anybody's yet answered that question. No, you make some great points. Also, apparatus. And there it is. <laughs> We have an over-under, so, you know, we're, we're going to see that uh, if, you, if you actually work it into any of your material there. But, no, you do, you do make some, <laughs> some great points. Here, here's the facts of the matter, uh, you know, some of the things that you stated. Rana has, uh, you know, worked alongside Harmeet, so there is some kind of a developed relationship there. Whether or not Harmeet says that she wants to change things, it's kind of armchair quarterbacking going into a candidacy against the incumbent. Fact of the matter is, Harmeet's done so many interviews over the course of, you know, since she's announced her candidacy, she's actually gone back and said there are a lot of longstanding practices within the RNC that she feels are extremely valuable, which leads me to say, like, she ran on hope and change, but now as we're getting close to the deadline, it's like, well, there's only so much hope and definitely change that we can do between now and, and 2024. So I saw that. You talked about the outside entities, like, vote blue is nowhere near uh you know as crappy as win red has been since it's come out and and you know you want to talk about mike lindell like he is the black pill alternative to everybody that's really if you don't care about 
anything to do with future elections, anything to do with policy moving forward. We just don't have a lot of those things set up. I don't think based off of his political experience, which is relatively none outside of the courtrooms, uh, he'd be able to do anything in regards to, uh, you know, changing up the way we do stuff, which is the big thing. I I mean, we've been really reluctant since, you know, a lot of these voting standards have changed throughout the country, early voting, ballot harvesting, vote by mail. And it's almost become like something that we've, you know, we've tied the stone around our neck now heading into 2024. There's also the reluctancy. I mean, the biggest and, and only candidate who's announced his run for presidency so far is Donald Trump. And, and you know, he's still been reluctant to get back on Twitter. I do feel like he's going to have to get on all social medias and not just have his surrogates putting out his information. Uh, often, uh, you know, if he's going to have a successful run in 2024 as well. So what, what are some of the things moving forward? Because I'm kind of in the agreement with you. I don't, I don't see there being much of a change at the RNC after the vote at the end of January. And this is kind of what we're going to have to deal with heading into the general election campaign. Do you think we're going to see some of the changes that have to happen, at least some of them, before we head into the next election cycle? No, not at all. I mean, none of the – I don't believe any of the candidates will manage to implement anything close to the – level of change that is required to, um, uh, to, to to have the RNC as a fighting force and not as a, as a force to by which to, to lavish, you know, fun jobs and, and flowers and facelifts upon your friends. And, um, you know, and I, I, I include Mike Lindell in that only in, only in the sense that, you know, if you were frustrated by Donald Trump's uh, uh, misunderstanding of Washington, D.C., the swamp, the depth of it, the depths to which it will plumb, um, and the personnel decisions that come alongside that level of naivety, then 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 Mike Lindell will tell you to hold his pillow, right, and <laughs> and show you what show you what real uh, you know rank amateurishness in an organisation like that would look like. And again, I don't use that as a pejorative. Um, if that's what you want, that's what you want. There's plenty of you know there's plenty of ways to legitimize um, chaos. Right. Or, 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 or in reality, you know, chaos legitimizes itself. You don't need to to further explain why you just want to see a, a plague on everyone's houses. I get it. Believe me, of everybody, I get it. Um, but but don't get your hopes up, therefore, that because you bring that chaos into that institution, that the, that the, the institution will change. You may you may be forcing an institutional failure faster. And that again, that may be some some people's ideas of, of the change that they want. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, you know, the, the, the reality behind party politics, is, I'm going to talk soccer for a minute here. So everybody who doesn't like soccer, close your ears for a second. <laughs> I'm going to use a soccer analogy for you because um, the, the soccer world has changed from um, football teams being run as clubs, right? Effectively, membership style organizations. Um, you know, members had a say in the ground and the team and the management and the players that they signed and all of that stuff. And over the last several decades, it has become massively corporatized. Big money investors come along, big sponsors come along, yep. and they say, right, it's cute the way you guys have, have had a local team and you've cared about your local team and you've nurtured this local team and you've made it into a, a global, you know, powerhouse. Uh, obviously, I'm talking about Manchester United here because that is the global powerhouse, my team. Um, and then they come along and they say, but what we're going to do now is we're going to strip everything out of it 
We're going to hollow it out, make it a soulless entity that you have almost no say in. But please do come along every week. Pay your £150 for your tickets to come and watch the team. We'll dictate the terms on the pitch. We'll dictate the terms off the pitch. If you do something politically that we don't like, you're out. If you do something, you know, uh, if you say a chant that we don't like, you're out. If you swear at somebody, you're out. But you guys, we understand, built the team, but it's not, it ain't your team anymore. And that, and that has kind of happened now hasn't it, with, with, with party politics all across the Western world, is the people who actually built the team uh, are no longer left in the decision-making uh, um, processes of the team. So you've got to get back to what we call in Britain the, the party democracy model. So we had this, you know, the Conservative Party was a, a democratic institution in the sense that you could pay your money, you could join the organization, and that would give you a say in the terms of the organization every year. You'd go along to your party conference, whether it was in Manchester or Blackpool or Birmingham or whatever, and you you could choose. You could attend every single session. You could attend some sessions. You could go to the policy debates, and you could ask questions, and you could challenge candidates, and all of this stuff. And then at the end, you're asked to vote. You're asked to say, okay, well, the party is considering the platform of, uh, you know, for instance, um, whether or not we should allow uh, uh, easier gender uh, transition, blah, 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 blah. And we would, you know, we would adopt this position as the party's position and the party is in charge in parliament. And so we would uh, promote primary legislation for that. And you vote no. And enough of you vote no. And that's it. You know, it's over. And you don't have any of that in your partisan politics anymore. There's the illusion in America of democracy, but there isn't actual political democracy. Political democracy doesn't just come down to on the day of an election, you maybe get as much say as somebody else, if you're lucky nowadays, right? It's about the primary processes. It's about the party processes. It's all of that should be, should be you know, common stakeholder stuff. And the idea of, saying to somebody who has spent their entire lives either living or breathing uh, Washington, D.C. Um, air for the whole time to think that they're going to come in and offer you something different. Uh, it's just it's you know, at that point, we're being silly. So that's what that's what my contention really is. And I'd really like um, people to start talking about why the RNC um, you know, why there is this, it's 168, I think, right, yeah, yeah. of these committee people around the country. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a sham of, 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 of representation. So let's, if you change that, yeah, then you actually have your, your hands on something powerful. And, and speaking of powerful, one of the biggest complaints we've heard since the midterm elections, a lot of the people who have kind of broke free from the ranks of, you know, just being in line when it comes to saying everything's fine and, and you know, a minor tweak here or there and we're right back in the game, is, is the influence that these are words that are becoming a lot more common, uh, you know, even in the mainstream media, vendors and consultants. These people, mm -hmm. co these people come in. If you're a candidate or, or you're running the RNC and you have a longstanding relationships with, with either of these entities, vendors, it's like you either bend the knee to the vendors or good luck winning a race unless you're an incumbent because then you get it automatically. And when it comes to the consultants, you know, you could say whatever you want about McLeadership and their massive influence that they had over the midterm elections. But you also had people walking away with hundreds of millions of dollars to lose coast to coast in 2022. And that was after the bad showing we had in 2020. So I, I just think that, uh, you know, like, like you said, a lot of these outside influences and outside of the 168 delegates, 
that have so much power over the party right now are the ones that are really holding us back from making any kind of meaningful changes. Yeah, look, it's the sweetest gig in the world to be to be a campaign vendor, a campaign consultant. Um, that is that is complete freedom of of operation, zero accountability, and lots of zeros on the end of the check. I yeah. mean, that is that is what happens in these organizations. And increasingly, it's not just um, on the political right. Increasingly, <laughs> you know, because all these people talk to each other and they all talk to us and whatever. Increasingly, I keep hearing, oh, I'm going to go and work for this person or I'm the consultant for this person. I'm like, really? You think they have a chance? And they go, oh, no, they plan to win. <laughs> We're not trying to win. Um, and that's it. You know, they are trying to get their several hundred thousand dollar check for about, you know, 20 minutes real work. Um, and that's it. Bugger off. Um, and a lot of them do bugger off. That's the that's the other interesting thing is I've noticed the the, the transitory element of all of this is far faster uh, now than it has been in, in my, any of my previous experience. People are coming in to work one campaign get that payday and then get out of politics or go back home and work in local politics. They just want that. They just want that one big DC thing. It takes them about six to eight months to get from the moment they arrive, you know, to the moment they're back on uh, their plane. Yep. And then they go, they go somewhere and that's it. You never hear from them again. Oh, they might run for a local office. Somebody goes, how did they get all this money to run for local office? Well, they spent about, they spent about 20 minutes in DC doing nothing. That's how, you know, and so, uh, yeah, that that particular part of it is very interesting. It's very interesting to me um, because we're actually starting a project right now. Um, I haven't actually talked about this publicly yet, so, so you can consider this breaking news for you guys. Um, we're starting a project right now, which will result in, I hope, uh, the publication of a, a, a fully-fledged investigative book about this um, by the end of next year. And it's specifically to do with how left-wing dark money uh, operates and, and moves around. And, and I'm pleased to say that, you know, the paperwork has effectively been signed with the, with the publisher now. So, so I, I suppose I'm at liberty to, to somewhat announce that this is going on. This is not a, not a, not a formal announcement. Uh, but uh, there's so many things. There's so many ways. I mean, I think how many people were just stunned at the Sam Bankman-Fried stuff? Yeah. That not that not not stunned that it was going on, but stunned to the, about the scale at which it was happening, the in-your-face nature of how it was happening, and the lack of any real culpability or remorse. Uh, you know, in, in 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 swift measure as a result of all of this. So it's sort of one of those situations like the Hunter Biden hard drive, isn't it? Where you can see it, you can hold it, you're physically touching it. You are literally pressing, you know, return on his emails, going through them one by one. Um, and and you, you show it to somebody in the media and they go, yeah, I'm not sure about this. You know, <laughs> it's like I physically was holding that device in my hands, shaking it at people, you know, being like, I don't know how much more reality you need. Do I have to hit you with it? You know? And I think a lot of the left dark money stuff is like that as well. So we're going to try and hit them with it this year, um, and that that means that means a lot of a lot of forensic work. 
um, and, 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 and maybe the right needs to start learning, actually, from how a lot of their money operates. No, that, that's a good point you make there. And it's like we, we've seen it so many times, the stuff we've been, uh, you know, able to learn from the Twitter files that have come out, everything from Internet suppression and cancellation culture to, you know, the stuff they did with COVID. And, and like you mentioned, the FTX, it's not how big it was. It's not how ridiculous it was. It's the fact that everyone had their hand in the jar. And then when, when it gets put out in the open, when they finally shine light on this stuff, it's like, oh, no, that's a that's an alternate reality that doesn't exist. It's a double standard that you're not privy to that information. So don't even talk about it. We're not going to talk about it. So good luck being in the conversation and having that narrative about it. It's also like a weird like social or psychological kind of thing to look at people and, and say that all the stuff that they're willing to tolerate that's happening and whether or not they care that it's real or not, just based on the fact that my team's winning versus your team's losing. True story. And, and they're like it, the most ridiculous off the wall stuff can be happening, but as long as it's people on their side, they're just gonna, you know, I'm just not gonna look at it. Right. Right. Yeah, and you know, I think that that, that that double standard applies, you know, on so many different things. I I cannot tell you the number of times, for instance, that the left and some and people on the left, including their reporters, have been racially abusive towards me. And I go, Hold on a minute, aren't you guys supposed to be the ones against all of that? And they go, Oh well, you know, it's it's not <laughs> not quite the same as when the right does it like, oh okay all right I, sorry i just have to make that clear you know <laughs> yeah um, you're not allowed to do that well yeah but it's us right right you know we don't mean it like they mean it oh okay all right cool yeah i asked the uh Dr. Ben Carson, how that's been working out Oof. for him lately. They just took his name off another high school. So it, it's funny yeah. how, how they operate in this. Raheem, do you have a horse in the race for, for Speaker of the House, or, or do you want to preview how absolutely of a disaster this is going to be? We know the vote delegation has fluctuated everywhere between 5 to 20-plus as far as no votes go. In addition, we have heard over the last couple of days a couple of sources I've been able to confirm with some of our freshman candidates heading in up on Capitol Hill are, are now teasing the fact that they might be bringing Lee Zeldin in off the street as as an outside unelected official who they might nominate in lieu of uh, Kevin McCarthy when the official vote comes to the floor. I don't see a path for Lee Zeldin to get to 218, uh, as Kevin McCarthy doesn't currently have one either. But how much of a disaster do you think this is going to be? And this is coming off the back of the omnibus bill where we saw Kevin McCarthy can go on TV, talk about his successes in lieu of all of his failures, talk about how it's going to be different next year, but then can't stand up to Mitch McConnell and whip enough votes to stop the omnibus bill from passing, which not only is worth $1.7 trillion on paper, but has the opportunity to get all the way up to $10 trillion in wasteful spending if all of the pork that's in there is used to its maximum potential. Yeah, um, I, I, it's, it's just one of, another one of these I told you so situations about these guys. I mean, I've been trying to tell people within the conservative movement and the, and the grass tops of the conservative movement for so long that you don't want to get into a position where it's January and your only realistic option, you know, appears to be Kevin McCarthy. Yep. Like, deal with that problem three years ago, please. Deal with that problem two years ago, please. Deal with that problem last year. You'd still have managed to deal with the problem. Now you're now you're moving into a situation where you just don't have the capacity needed to really, really realistically take that out. And look, I can't stand when people go on stage and uh, extol the virtues of Kevin McCarthy, right? Ostensible America first members of Congress who have run as that and now standing on stage is going, oh, but isn't Kevin McCarthy just so great? Like, 
Like, by all means, tell the audience, hey, I don't think we've got the votes to go anywhere else, so we can like it or we can lump it. But don't try and convince people that there is some kind of uh, sudden character change, that there's some kind of big change of heart that's gone on at the top of Republican leadership, that actually for all of the critiques that have been leveled against him over the years, he's been a, a very steady hand at the tiller nonsense. That It's a lie. We know you're lying at that point. You don't have to lie. You have chosen to lie at that point. And as far as I'm concerned, if you choose, if you actively choose to deceive uh, your base, your membership, your supporters, your voters, um, then you're no, you're, then you're, you're no better than any of them. So, so this is my big, my big problem with it. Um, listen, I, I think Zeldin, if, as you say, if there can be a path to something like that, would make a far better speaker yeah. uh, than McCarthy. He still doesn't ha- share all the same politics as mine, by the way. Um, but I think he's a far fairer actor um, and far less compromised uh, than McCarthy. But uh, no, I don't. I don't suspect that we will get anything but McCarthy, unfortunately. So then more of the same heading into the new year. I mean, he's going to have to make some concessions to get to 218. I, I, I think he would have played his hand way too early if he would have just did it when, like, you know, some of the more hawkish Republicans in the House Freedom Conference were all there, like, right after the straw poll following the midterm elections. And if he would have just made all those concessions, they would have just kept piling them on all the way up to January right. 2nd. I, I think he's going to make uh, probably more than not uh, heading into the date, but, but I just don't think it's going to be enough structurally moving forward for, for us to really do anything. We'll have those cool oversight committee hearings where we like have receipt after receipt that go nowhere. And then, you know, heading into uh, 2024, it's going to be how much more legislation will Mitch McConnell help Joe Biden pass so he can come off as winning as a president in a head to head matchup with Donald Trump heading into 2024. Right. This is the point, you know, there won't not be SOPs. Uh, that we're supposed to look at and go, oh, isn't this wonderful? Uh, there will be there will be uh, committees that are far more toothless than the January 6th committee was, that people will go, oh, isn't this wonderful? We've got like a committee investigation into, you know, Anthony Fauci's left leg. Um, and it, you know, again, the toothlessness of these things is, is going to be is going to be a joke. It's good for everybody to see. And, and they're also, listen, remember, the efficacy of the January 6th committee was not the committee itself. It was the media apparatus around the committee. That's why they hired Hollywood producers to uh, um, blast that stuff into, in, you know, into CNN world, onto the uh, networks constantly, onto all of the social media platforms constantly. Um, and what the Republicans will obviously do is seek to emulate something like that, but they won't do it with any of the production value, with any of the marketing appeal. And so these things are going to necessarily get lost. And, and, and again, we're going to have the, we're going to have a show of, of one of these shows, I'm sure. And you're going to say, oh, have you been paying attention to what's going on in the Hunter Biden laptop committee? And I'll say, well, yeah, I, but the problem is not whether or not I have been paying attention to it. The problem is whether or not anybody out there is seeing it and they're not, you know. No, that's it. And what you should say to them is I have been paying attention to it and I've been telling you about it. But now it's because. We're seeing it on television and committees that you, that you want to actually talk about it. So, and then you know, people are already so far ahead of this. Is this? I mean, you saw when 
we, we first started getting a little bit of traction on this right before the midterm elections. And then when the Twitter files came out, all, all the people in the legacy media just came out and said, you know, putting somebody's uh, drug addiction and, and sex addiction into the mainstream media, something to like demonize a presidential candidate that close to the election was just so not prudent for the media. And that's the only reason why we didn't report on it, it has nothing to do with the business dealings, nothing to do with all the creepy shit that he was doing on there. It, it solely was because. Joe Biden is trying to help out his son, who is the smartest man that he ever met, who's enjoying vacation with him in, in St. Croix right now <laughs> on our tax dollar. And, and to do anything otherwise would be just so hurtful and, and so mean to Joe Biden. The mainstream media just couldn't do it. But what if it was the other guy's son? Oh, he should already be in jail. Remember, they already tried oh, yeah. to put Donnie Jr. in jail several times. Raheem, this has been awesome. What's next yeah. coming down the pike for you? Uh, so many things. Um, this, this year is, is going to be crazy. Um, I I think people, people should pay attention to the, you know, the Substack is where we'll announce everything and and, and start everything from. So it's got a huge audience now. So it's just raheemkassam.com or, um, or just raheemkassam.substack.com, whatever it is. Um, and there's lots of things that we're going to be announcing in the next couple of, couple of weeks, months, um, lots of hard, hard work, investigative work, um, that is targeted across the board, quite frankly, because I'm, I'm, I'm tired of playing sort of patty cake with, with these issues. Uh, it's going to take a lot more, a lot more um, of, of a heavy lift to, to get to where we want to go. And, and by the way, just in reference to what you were saying a second ago, I think it's really interesting. You know, you talk about uh, people being perverts and, and pedophiles or whatever, and, mm-hmm. and the argument is that they're, they're, oh, no, they're just sex addicts and, and, and porn addicts and, and all that kind of stuff, right? And then you talk about them being, um, uh, you know, drug addicts and blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh, no, you know, they just have a dependency problem and all this stuff. So I'm just waiting now. For somebody to come along and go, okay, well, we need an investigation into Nancy Pelosi's financial situation. Um, and so, you know, somebody in the mainstream media is going to go, well, how come they just target her for her, for her financial obsession? This is, a, this is a disorder of her. She can't help being rich. You know, this is just something that she, she does. And it's so cruel that they would target this. I'm, I'm sure that they're going to come up with some sort of term uh, for the corrupt in the next couple of months that suddenly makes this a great affliction that we shouldn't be investigating. Corruption, no, that's just a disease. They have a disease. So look out, look out for that one. Yeah, it's uh, well. Yeah, you can take that one to the bank, I'm sure. They're not wrong. It is a disease, but the one that they're referring to. Is, try. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Isn't the one that we've been reporting on for the last several years. Raheem, we're going to live link all your stuff in the show description today, your website, your sub stack. We want to, again, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to come down with us. We love working with you, having you on the show, and uh, look forward to our continued successes alongside you in the future. This is the editor-in-chief of The National Pulse, one of the best sub stacks out there. It's live link today. Subscribe to it. Mr. Raheem Kassam, thank you for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Next on this 200th episode, 200th edition of Steak for Breakfast, he's one of our great friends who's helped make steaks great over the course of our growth in the show. One of our great friends. He's a show host. He hosts Unafraid on LFA. Mr. Mike Crispy, thanks for joining us on the show. Gentlemen, great to be back. Congrats on 200 episodes. I know you're just getting started, but 200 is an incredible milestone, and, uh, Great to have been a small part of the success along the way. I don't know if it was a small part. You were a pretty medium part. <laughs> a modest, a modestly mild kind of big part. Mike, the best thing about it is you've always brought the fire when you've come to our show. And like is the name of yours, you're unafraid to talk 
the truth when you do so. So we're going to jump right into it with you and talk about one of the hot topics in uh, conservative politics right now, and that's the battle for Republican leadership up on Capitol Hill, namely Speaker of the House. You broke some news this week on your show. We did not tease it on our Tuesday edition of the podcast, but do want to get into it a little bit right now. What's the current situation with uh, Kevin McCarthy and the Speaker of the House vote, and what are some of the intangibles that you see heading into that January 3rd decision? Well, guys, uh, they say it, and it's true. The most important vote anybody is going to cast in Congress right now that your member will cast is for Speaker. Most important vote. So are they going to vote for Kevin McCarthy, anti-Trump, anti-America first, pro-big tech, anti-saving uh, you know, uh, uh, the January 6th prisoners? Or are you going to support somebody else and go for a patriot? Now, Kevin McCarthy has been historically terrible. He spent millions of dollars. I think the final tally was $19 million against Republicans in primaries. Oof. And then he bragged about getting a majority because Ron DeSantis and Lee Zeldin carried over some swing districts in Florida and New York. McCarthy is terrible. He's, he's never been on our side. He's been on big tech side with all the lobbying. This guy does not deserve to be the speaker. And if he does become the speaker, it sets a dangerous precedent that pouring money into primaries and brute force power by any means necessary, no ideology, that is not something we can ever tolerate out of somebody we want for speaker, especially now where it's important. So I've been very anti-McCarthy. I think if he gets elected, it's Paul Ryan 2.0. That's Mm. his buddy. That's his mentor. That's the man who's pushing him on Fox News right now. And that's why everybody tells you the fake story about McCarthy. The real story right now is that he is over 20 votes short right now from being the speaker. Everyone says, oh, it's a couple of holdouts. Matt Gates and Bob Good and Andy Biggs, and it's only a couple. But no, he is over 20 votes short because this guy has to think about it. It's been years. Has he done anything as the minority leader to assuage the holdouts or the people who might go for him? Has he done any negotiating? Has he done anything to make them feel like he would be good? The answer is no. And now all of a sudden, in the 11th hour, this guy's plan isn't to negotiate terms with the Freedom Caucus or the conservative wing. This guy's plan is to say, if you don't support me, there will be gridlock. There will be gridlock. Because if I don't get it on the first ballot, then it's going to keep going to multiple ballots. And I vote for my sources that Kevin McCarthy doesn't care. He will let it go 50 ballots. He could care less about getting the new term started. He wants to be the speaker. So he is holding the party hostage, and he will take it down with him. He could care less. And so the news that I spoke, spoke about the other day, was that not only is he 20 votes short, but who's the alternative? And there are two things I've been talking about. And one is the fact that Steve Scalise behind the scenes, yep. um, although he's not he's not our guy, Steve Scalise is not our guy, but I think it just can't be Kevin McCarthy. Steve Scalise has been meeting with Freedom Caucus members and people to uh, you know, kind of negotiate and, and do some things with them behind the scenes. That is why Steve Scalise is uh, you know, starting to pop up and some of the McCarthy allies are starting to, throw a little shade, even though they're on the same side. There's a power play there going behind the scenes. But also, uh, Lee Zeldin, um, a name that many of us know. Lee Zeldin has kind of emerged, uh, this is from a couple different sources, and you guys knew it was coming down the pike too, that Lee Zeldin is being floated as the alternative candidate. So everybody out there who says, oh, we need to have Kevin, otherwise we're going to get some Democrat compromise candidate, you know, that won't be a conservative, eh, Guess what? The compromise candidate that the Democrats want is Kevin. So anybody but Kevin, and everybody knows that deep down, who are pushing him, they're just being disingenuous. 
Well, you make some excellent points there, and and I've been able to confirm through some of our sources that you're right in both of those uh, dark horses that you mentioned, Steve Scalise. My biggest concern with him, I mean, he's voted ideologically with McCarthy over the course of his career a lot more than he hasn't, plus he likes Ukraine a lot more than than at least our listenership here on Steak for Breakfast does. He loves appropriating money over to the war in Ukraine, which means he's directly aligned to the military-industrial complex. And then you have Lee Zeldin. Kind of an unprecedented pick due to the fact that he's currently not a, an, an elected official when they will cast the vote on January 3rd. But the, the fact of the matter is is, is, is he an alternative? And I think the big thing here is who's getting who's got a more viable path to 218. I think Kevin McCarthy right now probably has the hardest road. That number keeps fluctuating beside, between like five to over 20, depending on what concessions he's going to make in the next week. I know you mentioned Good, Gates, Comer, and Biggs, and, uh, you know, all of them are hard-nosed, even though I did hear Jim Comer yesterday say, you know, is there a possibility he could vote for Kevin McCarthy? He said, in all of the realities, yes, but he just doesn't see it right now. So maybe that was a little bit of a tell. But but the fact of the matter is is that we have a lot of work to do in the Republican Party in regards to leadership. Mike, what do you think is, is the biggest deal right now? And, and, and I think what I'm seeing is some people who are really supposedly closely aligned to President Trump, uh, you know, some of the stalwarts in the MAGA movement, namely Marjorie Taylor Greene, has kind of just given up and, and thrown all of her, you know, money into uh, a Kevin McCarthy speakership here. And why do you think something like that is now coming out of nowhere? Well, I'll tell you this. Um, and this was in the Daily Mail. And people were saying, oh, I can't believe that Mike Christie saying mean things about our fighter, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Listen, I'm just an honest, unafraid arbiter of what's going on. And I will tell you that Marjorie Taylor Greene's support for Kevin McCarthy, just on its face, again, I don't know anything more than the next guy. But just evaluating what's going on right now, it is so inherently disingenuous. It's like, just listen to her voice. Listen to the vocal inflection. If you've ever been lied to, you will understand what I'm saying. She is being, I use the term, being held hostage. She has to do it. Now, I don't know why. I don't know the exact reason. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. But I have said, and I think I'm right about this, that it's not a slight against Marjorie Taylor Greene. It's a slight against the system. Yeah. Is that something is being hung over Marjorie Taylor Greene's head. That is my opinion. Again, it doesn't make Marjorie Taylor Greene a bad person, but it just makes the system rotten and corrosive, and it kind of shows it. Because Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, on War Room said, oh, I have heard that if we don't go with McCarthy, Paul Ryan might be the speaker. We don't want that. <clears throat> that's a lie, yep. because McCarthy is being propped up by Paul Ryan. So that's just nonsense being thrown out there. All these head fakes you're hearing, uh, you know, that are being thrown out about these compromised candidates and, you know, uh, these people getting thrown in. That is all disinformation by McCarthy. Uh, and Marjorie Taylor Greene, unfortunately, has to play the role that I think Marjorie Taylor Greene, let's fast forward 70 years from now. Marjorie Taylor Greene's an old woman. She's retired. You know, she has a couple of years to go. She's in her golden years, sunset. I think she'll say, yep, back in 2022, those bastards were holding me hostage. And I couldn't say what I wanted to say, which I said right after January 6th, that Kevin McCarthy's a piece of shit. So that's what she wants to say. I can tell Marjorie. Marjorie, if you're listening, just tell the truth, Marjorie. The truth will set you free. <laughs> you know, I saw Steve Bannon post in the wee hours of the night yesterday uh, on, on Getter that Marjorie Taylor Greene is relentless in her support of Kevin McCarthy as she scrambles for votes that may not be there. If McCarthy gets the speakership, he will owe it to MTG's work on the right. Thoughts, observations, analysis. And I, I quoted that and said, 
man, this is like the nicest. I don't want to shit post her, but I unequivocally don't agree with her post that I've ever seen in my life because we all know how, you know, uh, buddy, buddy, that Marjorie Taylor Green is with the gang over at War Room who, you know, for all intents and purposes, we respect their work over there and the stuff that they do. But the fact of the matter is it's like when you really affix your wagon to somebody and then they flip in this manner just in, in this conversation here for speaker of the house it makes it hard sometimes like you everybody has that bad friend where they just do something that's so ridiculous it's hard to defend them in in the rest of your friend circle and that's what we're kind of running into with that i do feel like a lot of people in maga like i've seen it in our comment section our dms and stuff like that people feel betrayed uh by this narrative because everybody ran on all these candidates ran on oh hell no i'm not picking kevin mccarthy he's dumping all these millions into people running against me and now you all see everybody getting in line and saying like well it's just like the passing of the omnibus bill. We got to keep the lights on. We got to have a speaker of the house. So I'm just going to vote for it. So I'm just going to vote for him. Asshole. Terrible. Uh, <laughs> listen, I, 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 uh, you know, I, I obviously respect the work over uh, at War Room as well. They got you know good people. They do good work. If they're if they're going to start defending Marjorie Taylor Greene and all that, I, I just my opinion is again, uh, I nothing is personal. Everyone takes things personally. I don't take anything personal. It is all just based in the reality and the record. And the record states that Kevin McCarthy has done nothing to acquiesce or work with the wing of the party that Marjorie Taylor Greene represents, the Freedom Caucus wing, right? She represents them. What has she done to get Kevin McCarthy to the table with them and have him do things like agree to that motion to vacate the chair? And yep. any of the other rule changes, the unconstitutional rule changes that Nancy Pelosi put into place when she became speaker, why wouldn't Kevin McCarthy want to roll that back and get it back to being a bottom-up Congress, as Byron Donald said the other night on Fox. He said, we used to have a bottom-up Congress. Now it's a top-down Congress. Where anything that comes out of Nancy Pelosi's office, put in the floor, vote, that's it. That's not the way Congress is supposed to work. It's supposed to be bottom-up. So, Marjorie Taylor Greene, if you are representing us, if you have the leverage, like Steve Bannon is saying that you have, I hope you do, Marjorie. Do me a favor and get Congress back to how it used to be before Nancy Pelosi. So I'm asking, get him to agree to things pre-Nancy Pelosi. He won't do it. Kevin won't. That is because Kevin McCarthy will never, ever, ever be our guy or a conservative. He's an ideology-less snake. Yeah, he certainly is. And uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how the developments of the next four days now transpire as we're getting ready to head into a weekend where most people would be away from Congress and celebrating the New Year's with their family. There's going to be a lot of backdoor negotiations going on. I can only speculate golf courses within the D.C. area are going to be pretty busy. So are a lot of those clubs up on K Street over there. Mike, some of the work that you've done regarding uh, busting open the narrative on on the real root causes of the problem we're having with the Ukraine crisis right now has been some of the most comprehensive, I think, in the field. You've talked everything about, you know, from the coup in 2014 to the installation of Vladimir Zelensky all the way up through now, BlackRock moving in, uh, they're moving in, China's moving in, all picking up these contracts to help rebuild after he came here last week in a jumpsuit and uh, took his $47 billion check back with him to Ukraine. I, I definitely think that the, the stuff you're doing is amazing regarding that narrative. What are some of the latest developments you've talked on your show about the money that's going into Ukraine and the money laundering operation it's turned into? Yeah, and, and you made that point about uh, Steve Scalise in Ukraine, Kevin McCarthy, yep. big Ukraine guy. Um, you know, I, I think here's the, the bottom line with Ukraine is this. This conflict, unless they wanted to go to a, a full-blown world war like Lindsey Graham was, 
if they end it in any way in amicable fashion, it'll end the way that it could have ended a year ago or whatever when they were trying to negotiate and they were both on terms with negotiating for peace. And then somebody in the military-industrial complex got to Zelensky and said, no, do not negotiate. Stop negotiating. You're not going to do that. Who could those people have been? Oh, maybe they're the people, the World Economic Forum people that Zelensky just said two days ago that all of a sudden he's going to join. Oh, what a coincidence. So he's going to do that. At the end of the day, when this conflict is over, the only result is going to be money laundered $110 billion. And the solution that would have been there if we would have just came to the negotiation table like both parties wanted to at the start of this thing. But the global interests that be, including the United States, said, no, 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 no. Dig your heels in. You got to fight. You got to do this. We'll keep sending you money. And I always say it, it's the funniest thing. It's the help me, I'm winning thing. It's like, oh, Ukraine, they're winning. They're winning. But they need help. They need more help. It's not enough. Zelensky said, which is it? It doesn't make any sense. So I saw, and I reported on this on my show uh, two days ago, is you got BlackRock, yep. the CEO, when Zelensky swung by, agreed to uh, some financial uh, aid system of where BlackRock is going to make these investments into Ukraine to rebuild the country. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, you know, I don't know. I know the thing or two about finance, not a lot, but it's like, how can you budget for a, uh, cataclysmic nuclear bomb that you say Russia will drop if we don't continue giving them money. How do you budget that in, BlackRock? I know you're smart, but are you that smart? It's just a joke. It really is a joke. And, um, I mean, the thing from the start, uh, you could tell is a money launder, and it's always the Russian boogeyman. And if I post these things, and I've had a couple posts that, you know, have gone very you know viral on Twitter on it or whatever, yep. and all the bots just jump in. They're bots. They're, they can't be real people. They're bots with Ukraine plans. And they say, Russian agent, Russian agent, Russian agent. <laughs> um, you don't have to create a bot farm if you're actually winning. They're doing that because they're still trying to manipulate public opinion. And um, I'm not a Russian agent. I'm just anti-World War III. I don't think Russia's a good country. I don't think Ukraine's a good country. Madison Cawthorn was right. Zelensky's a thug. But it doesn't mean that I don't think Putin's a thug. So it's like this is just level-headed normalness that up until a couple of years ago would have been accepted by everybody. But unfortunately, guys, we're in some really weird times. No, we certainly are. And uh, just to see how that's all going down and, and, and shaking out right now, I mean, you literally have almost on a daily basis someone from the Russian Federation coming out and saying, like, guys, this is getting a little ridiculous. Like, we understand that we are in a conflict, uh, a border skirmish with Ukraine over disputed territories. However, we, we would like to go to the negotiation table and – Ukraine's telling us that the United States basically doesn't want to because they're making too much money or investing too much money into this conflict. So uh, we don't know what to do. Do we keep? Do we do we just keep dropping bombs on them because they don't want to negotiate? Like we're trying to figure out how, a comprehensive way out of this, and it's almost been like that for like six months now. So the fact of the matter is, is like I, I think we take another step, a big step in the wrong direction that could lead to some really bad results once those Patriot missile batteries get into Ukraine, and we're almost nearing a point of no no return because you know drones and ammunition, anti tank stuff on the ground. That's one thing, but when you're really setting up the opportunity to have a, you know, a stance of power in the region like that, where he even said it, if it's not as many Patriot missile batteries as we want, as soon as we get there, I'm going to come back and ask for more. That That's extremely alarming to me. It, it does take us another step towards World War III, and, and, and it's pretty, pretty scary to just look over in the uh, totality of it. Mike, I do want to play word association with you on one of the hottest topics going on in all of the media right now regarding an individual, but we're not going to name him. You're going to guess who we're talking about here when I, when I tell ah. you these names. 
Okay. Try, try to stay with me here. Joe Biden, Elon Omar, Rick Blumenthal, Elizabeth Warren, Adam Schiff. They all have something in common, but we're being hypocrites again about one other person. Can you guess who we're talking about here? What they have in common is that they are bigger liars than George Santos. <laughs> yes. I see Alan licking his chops. I know he's going to jump in on this commentary right here as well. Mike, how have we gotten to this point to where, okay, George Santos might not have done the right things ideologically throughout the course of his campaign, but a lot of people don't understand or realize that this isn't his first election. He actually won and then lost an election in the last cycle, and all of this stuff was pretty much common knowledge. Uh, when when you do any kind of an information dig that a congressional candidate would have over over the course of the entirety of their campaign, and it's just now that he's won, that he's took like a Biden plus 23 district and flipped it plus 8R, uh, you know, that, that George Santos is now public enemy number one, and he's basically committed crimes that are up there with people like Mussolini and Hitler. What is some of your commentary on this? Well... Um, I saw today that Congressman Richie Torres in New York introduced the Santos Act. <laughs> Santos Act stands for Stop Another Non-Truthful Office Seeker Act. So, God. you know, he, he obviously was, was clever with that. But you know what I say about the Santos Act? I say it's the greatest thing a Democrat has ever spit out. Make it the law. Make it the law. And it says that under oath, everybody who runs for office has to stay under oath where they work, their employment, uh, you know, their military service, all these things, blah, 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 blah. Great. It will knock out so many more Democrats than any Republicans. That I guarantee you. Elon Omar wouldn't be in Congress if the Santos Act was in place. Uh, Joe Biden wouldn't be the president if the Santos Act was in place. Elizabeth Warren wouldn't be in the Senate if the Santos Act was in place. So, listen, this is what I said about George. George, who I, I know personally, he should have went on there and he should have said to Tulsi Gabbard, you know what, Tulsi? Yeah, I was wrong. These things were all wrong. Uh, integrity, integrity. You're right. I lacked it. But you know what? I'm going to set the example for all these other scumbags in Washington. And now that I've come clean, I'm calling on every single person to submit to the Santos Act retroactively. And if they can't pass the test, uh, vacate your seat now. Right? So got to go on the offense and, uh, you know, that's what I think about George. Obviously, what he did wasn't good. It wasn't right. I'm not condoning it. But I do think that if he was a uh, Democrat, there would have been a blackout on this story. You would have heard nothing. They would have said, you're a racist for insinuating that he's not, you know, whatever race that they wanted to say. And that would have been the end of it. It would have been a non-story like Elon Omar's brother. But this is where we find ourselves. No. Those are some excellent points there. And then, Alan, I want to throw it over to you. You're a New York resident. You're a business owner. You were a financial contributor and open supporter of George Santos throughout the course of his campaign. You actually linked George on to his only piece on Steak for Breakfast. So far, we do feel like we're going to have him back at some point after he's sworn in next week and have a really good sit down and talk about his legislative agenda, not some of the stuff on how we've got here agenda, because he already did one of the, he, he ran one of the most impressive races at the ballot box wise in the country. I'm sorry. you Like, honestly, his district win, like just on paper, the black and white numbers is comparable with Ron DeSantis's win in Florida. Just when you break it down like that from where he was and what he flipped to how much he won by, regardless of what it took to get there, 
we are going to hope that George Santos makes amends with the people of his district, with uh, you know some of the donors and supporters like you, Alan, and then moves forward to push the America First agenda, the robust agenda that he talked about with other Republicans who came on the show during the election cycle forward in the new year. What's some of the stuff that you're seeing and hearing up there in New York, and, and, and what is some of the stuff that, uh, you know, how you feel about this whole situation? Well, number one, I am 100% Team Santos, and I will stand by him. I don't care where he went to school. I don't care what he does for a living. I don't care that he lied about it because nobody voted for George Santos based off where he went to school and where he worked and all of this other nonsense. And I know I blame in all of this and I don't condone the lying. I don't. And I hope George is is tactful with it, that George Santos should stay and not resign. I text. I sent him that text message. Do not resign. Do not waver. We need you there. Okay. And I blame the Nassau GOP, which is weak, full of establishment shills from Bruce Blakeman County executive, who I know, to who's disappointed me more than ever. Anthony D'Esposito, new elected congressman alongside of George Santos, who's turning against him and becoming a GOP shill. Um, I just... You know, you're supposed to vet your candidates. He was not primaried. The Nassau GOP did not have a a, a hot button Republican to run in that seat against George Santos. They backed him again. Again, a Biden plus 23 district. And he he faked it till he made it. And he flipped the seat by eight points, a seat that was that belonged to a very strong, prominent Democrat, Tom Suozzi, who lost his bid in the primary against Kathy Hochul for governor. Okay, and Zimmerman, who was a weak Democrat, but, you know, he ran a great race. And all the Santos Act, just like we mentioned, Rich Blumenthal lied about military service. Elizabeth Warren lied about her heritage. Eric Swalwell lied about banging a Chinese spy and remains on the Intelligence Committee and a member of Congress. Bill Clinton, look what he did in the White House. I mean, give me a break. And this is why the GOP, and I think Mike Crispy will agree with me, that it is so fractured in so many ways. And if this if, if this is going to keep happening, we will never win. They're calling for a special election. I'll tell you, they push George Santos out and they get a special election. They will get a Democrat in that seat and they will deserve it. All four seats on Long Island congressional seats are Republican right now. And all of the other ones are turning their back on George Santos because of these Nassau Suffolk establishment GOP shills that they are and they disgust me and I sent my message to everyone that I support in the Nassau GOP I give money to a lot of people and I told them all well, because of this and the statements you're saying you're, you're giving or not or, or staying radio silent I will pull all financial support for any race ever do not ask me again I just I just said I was going to support somebody running for re-election local town council who I like who unfortunately is controlled by the Nassau GOP. And now I'm telling him, haven't told him yet, but he will know today that I am not giving him that sponsorship and I am not giving him that financial support because the Nassau GOP is disgusting. And then they got their Nassau GOP princess, the new Nassau County district attorney to open up a probe on George Santos. That was, this is all establishment GOP programming. And this is what they do. If you don't want to bend the knee, because they're all bending the knee to Kevin McCarthy too. Anthony D'Esposito was one of the signatures on that letter that went saying we are vowing to vote for Kevin McCarthy. And it, it's just, it's disgusting. It's sick. 
and I can't stand any of them. No, Alan, I mean, you, you've got it right there. And, and what you're talking about, you, that letter that came out yesterday, which showed, uh, I said it was the 2023 Congressional All-Rhino team just dropped. And uh, he's referring to a, a, a letter that came out yesterday that said, 15 House Republicans from districts won by Biden in 2020, which include the four that he uh, dropped there from New York. Let us be clear, we are not only supporting Kevin McCarthy for speaker, but we are not open to any so-called shadow consensus candidate, regardless of how many votes it takes to elect speaker-designate McCarthy. Very alarming. Very alarming. That people I don't just... know if you, I don't know if you saw um, Matt Gates gave a, a hot take with the Daily Caller and he's 100 percent right. It's all of these people supporting Kevin McCarthy is it's out of financial interest, special interest groups, their campaigns and everything else that they get. They they need the Kevin McCarthy financial backing, because let's face it, Kevin McCarthy is one of, if not the biggest fundraiser in the Republican Congress. And, and they want and need his money for their future endeavors. It's all about them and not the people. Yep. So that's what it comes down to. Exactly true there. Mike, last thing I want to touch with you on, you hit it a little bit at the uh, top of the piece here about George Santos. It's Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, we all know her long documented history of shit voting throughout the entirety of her congressional career. And it seems like with just over the course of the last six months, everybody who doesn't know already, she's got a book coming out. She regularly guest hosts on some of the biggest, uh, you know, conservative shows, including Tucker. She's sitting in for him all week this week. Uh, I heard there's a Tulsi show in the works. Plus she probably still has some political aspirations, but the fact of the matter is who gave her the keys to the Republican Party? And now why is she becoming one of the standard bearers for what Republicans could be when when a year ago she 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 was a, a beyond liberal Democrat that catered to a lot of the virtue signaling communities out there? Well, uh, first of all, in watching Tulsi on the show um, and I watched all of her fill in appearances, she's really not that good. I mean, she's like not that good of a host. So that's the first thing. She's like not very good as a host. Uh, second of all, uh, she, you know, that, that Santos interview, I mean, that was, you know, she was, she was ready to go at him. She had the lines pre-prepared. She just wanted to do the hit on him. Yep. So, and I don't know if George knew that that was coming from Tulsi. I don't know if he knew it was going to be like that, but it was pretty vicious. Like, have you no shame? Does it, what does integrity mean? How about start it off with, all right, George, you're on national TV. This is a huge moment. Tell the people what you want to say and open it up and at least look a little bit objective. But clearly she wanted to stick it to him and she jumped right down his throat. And that's why I thought that George should have came right back at her and owned it and then owned her and said, hey, Tulsi, listen, where were you when Elon Omar was marrying her brother? He yep. said the halls of Congress are so hallowed. Did you get on the House floor and say anything that the proceedings cannot continue until we have integrity? And by integrity, we mean expel Elon Omar for marrying her brother. Um, so where's the integrity there, Tulsi? And just go like that. So, you know, I don't know where she has come from. Um, you know, she's not a strong conservative on a couple of these foreign policy things. She's good. But to call her a, a MAGA standard bearer, uh, to say that, oh, she needs to run for vice president, which people used to say. I'm Ugh. like, give me a break. Yeah. Stop settling for anybody who doesn't have our ideology that says one nice thing about something that we uh, have as our policy positions, right? Like, we don't have to acquiesce to these people. Oh, she's a Democrat who agrees with our foreign policy stance. 
Okay, great, but does that make her a conservative? No, absolutely not. So I think a lot of times conservatives kind of they fall in love with somebody who traditionally wouldn't be on their side, but they say something on their side and they want to feel like it's cool. So they're like, oh, yes, we love Tulsi. And a lot of Republicans like were, and they still are, they're like very into Tulsi Gabbard is the future of the party. Tulsi Gabbard left the Democrat Party and registered as an independent. She didn't register as a Republican. She's not one of us. So I just think people need to just open their eyes a little bit and say, wait a minute, we need to stop settling for people just because they say one thing that we agree with. It doesn't make them a conservative. It's actually a problem across the spectrum with a lot of these people. No, you're right. And I mean, if you can't tell how hard they're working to have Donald Trump not be the Republican nominee for the 2024 presidential election, this is just another Ken Griffin, Rupert Murdoch, Paul Ryan layer that they're putting in front of you. So now you have Tulsi Gabbard. Behind her, you have the rhinos. Then you have the moderates. Then you have the mm, kind of America first before you even get to like House Freedom Caucus America first level, you know, representatives and, and Congress people up on hit uh, up on the hill. And and the fact of the matter is, by adding this layer right now, what she does is, like you said, Mike, she gives us the word salad. She gives us the, you know, narrative between the narrative that gets people's minds off things that are important to the American people and and back onto things that which really aren't like whether or not George Santos lied in his congressional resume when he ran for a house seat in in New York three, and that's that's basically it right there. And 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 I definitely think that you know moving forward we're gonna have to walk with every single person who who's very closely connected to the president said, I like her. She's a great person, but I don't know yet in regards to her stances on stuff, whether or not, I don't want to say trust, but like trust her narrative at the very least. And I think that's where I'm definitely at. Like as far as Republican politics go, America first national populist movement, MAGA, all that stuff. She does not belong there. She is not a part of that. And, and she would have to do a lot of things. Uh, talk about her own voting record and why she doesn't believe in that anymore. And then follow up on it for me to even think, that she's in this fight to win it. Like, I understand this country's going to shit. Her 401ks and all of her stock investments have probably tanked over the course of the last couple of years. That probably has some stuff to do with it and why she's working so much now. But but in, in, in general, as far as her helping us out, do anything productive in the Republican Party for the next decade or so, I could care less if she's involved or not. I don't want her anywhere near it. Mike, this has been awesome hosting you on the show today. Our 200th episode of the show, you have helped make stakes great. And uh, we really appreciate you taking time out of the busy schedule and jumping on with us. Uh, everybody who's not following you, your show, obviously we're going to live link everything in the show description today, but let's tell our listenership where they could follow you if they're not already. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mike Christie, Unafraid, it's called on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, also streaming on Rumble every single day on LFA TV. That's Rumble.com slash LFA TV. Uh, we're live every day at 12 noon. Hope you will uh, listen and uh, and get some of these hot takes. And we look forward to coming back on the show again soon, Steak Boys, and having you guys back on our show as well. You too, Alan. Love you, Mike. Happy New Year. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, guys. You've been incredible. Congrats on 200 shows. I can't wait to see where we're at when it's 400 shows. Well, that's that's coming down the pike pretty darn soon here. And uh, like Alan said, Mike, I hope you have a happy new year. Thanks for taking the time. And uh, we'll be we'll be talking to you soon. Mike knows I'm a regular listener because about an hour and a half after a show comes out every day, I'm texting him. What did you mean when you said by this? Like, what what are you talking about here? Mm -hmm. So I, I, I got the receipts with this guy. This is the host of Unafraid on LFA. Mr. Mike Crispy, thanks for joining us on the show today. Thanks, Jen. Have a good day.
Joining us next on our 200th episode of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, he's one of our great friends. He's the former chief of staff to the Department of Defense, special assistant to the 45th president of the United States. Mr. Cash Patel, thanks for making an appearance on the show with us today. Hey, thanks so much, guys. Happy New Year. Happy holidays. And 200 episodes. We got, we got to get you guys a real job. Yeah. All you do is sit around and make podcasts. What's up with that? I know, right? Well, well we're inching closer to the to the Donald Trump interview. We, we've seen the gears moving. Yeah. Behind, behind the scenes, we're not going to disclose until it happens, and when it happens, <laughs> our listenership will be the first to know about it, but we're working on it here. Cash, it's, it's good to hear you. We're glad you had a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and all that. We know you're uh, extremely busy in all that you're doing right now, but we did want to talk about some of the stuff that you've been hitting hard on, especially on your show, Cash's Corner, the Twitter Files updates. Everybody's looking at the big shinies. Everybody's kind of, you know, <laughs> romanticizing about Elon Musk, and although he's done some good things, there's a lot of reading between the lines, there's a lot of stuff that we're hearing but not actually listening to, stuff that you know about personally that you went through when it involved Spygate, Russiagate, and all the other stuff that happened throughout the Trump administration that you really want our listenership to hear about. What are some of the biggest points that we're missing here, and what's more important moving forward with it? No, I think, look, I've been on uh, pretty much everything I can get on to call out Elon because right now what he's doing is a version of censorship. If you're going to be transparent, then be transparent. Don't be selective. Don't have the Russiagate architect, James Baker, call your balls and strikes and then get called out and be like, oh, I didn't know. Don't release the Fauci files selectively. Don't release the fact that you have Slack channel content, which show biased decisions of censorship against Donald Trump yep. across the board from Twitter employees and the FBI, and then not release the contents of those uh, channels. You know, they're, they're, just, they're just chat channels but they're private and the Bureau knows that those are normally never released or made publicly available. That's why they use them. And so if you guys, if they don't start releasing all the information, then it's going to be a version of what the FBI does. And, you know, people might not like hearing that, but everyone now knows the FBI was in bed with big tech, like Devin and I called years ago to rig a presidential election. That's a hard fact. Five years ago, people called us anti-American. And now the people that don't believe that are the actual anti-Americans because we've put out the truth. So, look, and I've always said this, Elon's window <clears throat> of the attention pans for the American people is closing on them. Because in a month, it's going to be January, Republican investigations, Republican gavels, what are you talking about, FBI, corruption. This is going to be a back story. So I think he's missing his window. Do you think – Maybe part of the reason why he hasn't been able to disclose or just hasn't as you know, as the CEO, he can pretty much do whatever he wants is the possibility of him getting called up on Capitol Hill and having to really provide actual receipts. I mean, we've seen it. The, the, the level, uh, the level of communication was so, uh, you know, just, it, it seemed like it was friends talking. It didn't even seem like the FBI was contacting like one of the biggest social media applications <laughs> on the planet. They were like, Oh my God, right. I'm going to an FBI meeting. This is so cool. I'm just like, yeah. Are we doing happy hour later? Yeah. I mean, that's exactly right. That's the tonality of it. And I don't think Elon Musk cares about being called up on Capitol Hill. I really don't. I mean, the guy has SpaceX, the largest government contractor, defense con in the world. Um, this guy has oversight obligations across the board. What did he not think when he owned Twitter that this is going to happen? And, you know, maybe he overplayed his hand on the worst of Twitter and the corruption there. Um, he knew it was a little bit corrupt. I don't think he knew it was all the way corrupt. And so I think um, – I don't know if he's worried about going to the Hill, but you know, you know what he should be worried about is now – he probably has to go to the Hill yeah, because it's been this partial disclosure and that now, you know, the chairman and women that are coming in are going to be like, wait a second, you showed me one Slack channel, no contact. Who was on that? What FBI agent? You showed me some contact from James Baker and communication. 
where are the FBI contracts with Twitter? You showed me that they paid three and a half million. I told you it was tens of millions. You know, these are questions that he's going to get drilled on, on Capitol Hill. Maybe that's what it takes. I don't know. Yeah, hopefully we just get to the bottom of it. I want everything to be exposed because we, we, we need a big teardown before we build up again. And I'm not talking about the $400 million that was appropriated for the new FBI headquarters. I'm talking about the agency and all the ones connected in entirety. We need, we need a complete redo over here with our federal law enforcement and Department of Justice. Cash, did it, did it surprise you at all that you've, you've, you've lived through Spygate, Russiagate, two failed impeachments, everything in between, and now the January 6th non-select committee repeals their subpoenas for Donald Trump because they knew it was going absolutely nowhere, whether at the Department of Justice or when it gets canceled on January 3rd when the new Congress is sworn in. But it looks like a big smack in the face to them. You you see people, yeah. people like Christina, but you've talked about all the stuff you did when you had to go uh, uh, and provide your testimony. Christina Bob released a lot of hers today, and it's just massive pushback on the stupid questions they were asking them. But to see Donald Trump get another W in the face of uh, fake news, it, it's a huge win for MAGA. Well, you know whose transcript they haven't released yet? Mine. Mm. Um, still haven't released it. Been calling it for almost on a daily basis for weeks, and the only reason they haven't released it is because it's the one that's loaded with the truth about what happened on and into the lead-up of January 6th, including the troops' deployment and authorization, and the fact that Nancy Pelosi and Bowser shut it down. And there would not be a conversation about January 6th had they listened to President Trump's authorization. I was chief of staff at DOD. I had a firsthand, uh, not just eyewitness seat, but operational-level engagement on it, and they won't put out the transcript. They won't put out the Bowser letters. They won't put out the DOD timeline. They won't put out the Capitol Police. We've got the receipts, as we always say, and they're not ours. They're theirs. And that's the best form of evidence to shut them down. And it's December 31st, or whatever it is, 30th. And uh, they're slowly leaking some transcripts, but not mine. So um, I'm putting them on blast. And the first guy in the seat, come 1 January, whatever chairman or woman that is, better release my transcripts. Yeah, the American public wants to see them. We want to hear what you had to say, and we're going to talk about it with you on Steak for Breakfast next time you're on. Last thing I wanted to touch on, we've got some big battles in the Republican Party coming up. I know you provide commentary on everything in between. You helped us have Harmeet Dillon on the show not too long ago. She made a really good plea to the MAGA base yeah. and to the Steak for Breakfast listenership when she was here. But her and things with uh, Ronald McDaniel are heating up. What are you thinking? So the RNC needs to rejigger um, how, it, how it operates, whoever the leader is. And I've you know, publicly said and privately said, I'm not going to personally weigh in on that. Um, I'm going to stay behind President Trump on whatever uh, agenda or personnel decisions he has to make there. But I know that both personally, I'm a big fan of Army. Um, I know Ron personally. We worked on the campaign together. And it's just a matter of, it's not a, it's the thing with the RNC is it's not a popularity contest. It's a committee member race. Yep. And I, thank you. Thank you so much. And you either are in the committee and voting or you're not in the committee and you ain't voting. Sorry, I'm in Louisiana on Bourbon Street and uh, <laughs> the Alabama game tomorrow. My buddy's getting married. So it's a down here, K-State fan. And there's a train in the middle of the road, as you would have probably not imagined. <laughs> I'm sure there's probably some boobs in the middle of the road, too. But we'll, 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 this is a family program. We're going to keep it PG on here. <laughs> Cash, does, does Kevin McCarthy eventually find an, uh, a pathway to Speaker of the House? Well, I saw he was making some concessions today, which I called for a long time ago. And those, those are the, the manner of, can we alter the speakership if it fails us? Should Republican chairmen and women have uh, unilateral subpoena authority? I think they should. Yeah. Should they have the ability to withhold the purse? Should these government gangsters fail to uh, comply by congressional subpoenas, which now we've seen the heft of them? And yes, the answer to all that is yes, they should. So 
I think and hope that's what's going on. But um, I don't know. I don't know what the behind the scenes jostling. I was out in America Fest with guys like Andy Biggs, who I'm a big fan of. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, all these people, what they want is accountability that has been sorely lacking. And so they just need to figure out a way to get it together. And right now, but, but what he's been good at and brilliant at is winning. And maybe he's doing that with Yeah, maybe it is part of the concessions here. Cash, last question. Does anyone stop? Does anyone have the political capital up there? <laughs> to stop Mitch McConnell from, from cementing Joe Biden's legislative legacy, which is getting pretty robust and looks to only get more robust in the next year. Yeah, the, the, the U.S. House of Representatives. The Republican majority there has the ability to shut down all purse operations because the law commands that all budgeting operations begin and end in the House of Representatives. So the majority that's going in there has the ability to unilaterally shut down any spending, any Biden pet dreams and McConnell pet projects in the UK permanently. And so we, we better expect that of the new Republican leadership in the House. It's the only way to shut it down, but thank God they have the first strength. Now, they just have to be willing to pull up. Yeah, it's going to take a pretty big spine to stop all the things that Mitch McConnell has done to hurt MAGA over the course of the first two years of the Biden administration, which includes this omnibus bill that just passed. Cash, you want to direct everybody that's not already following you on True Social to find you. If you want to give out your handle, we're also going to live link the foundation in the uh, show description today. Yeah, no, look, only one place to find me, at Cash, at K-A-S-H on Truth Social. You guys have seen it. And FightWithCash.com is where we're helping everybody help other people. It's, uh, it's a great mission. You guys have been a great help and a great partner there. And uh, online, and we'll definitely see on the breakfast too. We'll be looking to have you back in the new year a couple times, too. I've already talked with Silver Joy, and we're going to get you booked here on Steak for Breakfast. We get to have a little bit more of an intimate conversation. We wish you the absolute happiest of New Year's, my friend, and we really thank uh, all of your contributions to our show. You have definitely helped make Steak great. This is the former chief of staff to the DOD, great friend of the show, Mr. Cash Patel. Thanks for joining us on our 200th episode. Hey, thanks so much. Congratulations, guys, and I love making Steak it again. And uh, you guys have one of the best shows there. Happy New Year to you all. And I promise next time I won't be in the middle of a parade <laughs> in Baton uh, Rouge, Louisiana. No, you take care, sir. Be safe, and uh, we'll see you in about a week. Thanks. Can you believe we've done this over 200 times already? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have. And if you enjoyed this episode of the Steak for Breakfast podcast and want to hear the now 200 episodes of the show, you can find us across every downloadable podcasting platform. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Podaddict, Google Podcast, FM Player, iHeartRadio, the Patriot Podcast Network on the Roku app, or even on Frank's Beach. Subscribe to the show and rate it, leave a review, and don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds go to all of our amazing guests today. Attorney, for Trump 2024, Miss Christina Bob. We had the National Pulse's editor-in-chief and great friend Raheem Kassam join us as well. Host of Unafraid, Mr. Mike Crispy, and the former chief of staff to the Department of Defense, special assistant to Donald Trump, Mr. Cash Patel. Guys, don't forget to go out and throw some of your hard-earned cash this holiday season at some of our partners, because when that happens, all you do is help make small American businesses great again, namely my pillow. Everybody likes sleep. If you're more of a morning person, everybody likes coffee. My pillow and Mike Lindell, the whole apparatus down there, they've got you set up. Enter promo code Steak at checkout. You're going to get big, big savings during the holiday season, up to 80% on My Pillow products. The coffee, 25% off when you use promo code Steak, 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. 
MyPillow.com forward slash steak is the website for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear, best damn headphones that I've ever owned, can only be found at Odyssey. If you're in the studio, recording music, doing podcasts, you want to be serious, make the investment. Odyssey.com is the website there. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. My Patriot Cigars. And promo code stake here through the new year. You're getting 25% off your total order. All orders over 100 bucks, free shipping, $10 e gift card included with every purchase when you use promo code stake. MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom loving patriots. Man rubs! Any man rubs this week, Noah? Uh, I did some man rub chicken in the uh, old air fryer. It was delicious. Had it for lunch. I did the uh, man rubs. Brown slash into the crock pot, made Ooh. a little homemade barbecue sauce. But before I did that, I bought it, shook it, sprinkled it, rubbed it. I already told you I threw it in the crock pot. Eventually it came out, I shredded it, and we ate it with some Hawaiian rolls and went directly into my mouth. Num, num, num. Oh. Brought that one back for episode 200. Didn't think I was listening, but I did. Mm. Stay ready, gear holsters. What do we got this week? What are we throwing on there? Ooh, Concept uh... art. How about just uh, the transcript of Christina Bob's uh... January 6th testimony? <laughs> I love it. If you would like that on a concealed carry Kydex holster, send them the art concept. They'll get the order out faster than ever before. StayReadyGear.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram, too. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has a pretty simple equation for all your gun-related needs, firearms, parts, accessories, and ammo. His newly redesigned, easy-to-use website is westcoastsurvivalarms.com. He's on Facebook Messenger, and via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Mediocre Medic, for all our first responders, you're going to like everything they've got in their store. You're going to love their Instagram a little bit more. MediocreMedic.com is the website there. And last but certainly not least, the home the Zero Fucks Duck. If you want the version 2 Zero Fucks Duck, Grinch, who stole Christmas with the candy cane silencer, it's dropping this weekend. Mm. If you don't know, go ask Mark Joe Friday. The website is dumpbox.us. Find him on Instagram. Find him on Facebook. Upcoming shows. Apparently, Jake Denton's going to be with us on Tuesdays. We kick off the new year, and so is Cash Patel. A little bit of a redo. Rick Grinnell will be joining us on the 6th of January. Jorge Ventura, Christina Bob, and Cash Patel again will be joining us on the 10th. Devin Nunez is scheduled for the 20th. Christina Bob is kicking off her book tour. On Steak for Breakfast on the 21st of January, we'll also be joined by former acting U.S. Attorney General Matt Whitaker. Jake Denton's coming back in here on the 27th as well. I've got my list here. I'm trying to get a whole bunch of other people in. We've got Feelers Out for Liz Harrington. Boris will be joining us. All of our congressmen who are getting sworn in next week. Tom Holman, former ICE director. Theo Wold, J.W. Gibbons. Still hoping for some Amanda Milius. And, of course, we'll have Vish Burr back here in January as well, friends of the week, friends of the year is more like it. Ooh, dang. Right? Our Truth Social Twitch streamer crew, we hit 20K on Truth Social this week. Congratulations to us, but more importantly, congratulations to our followers who helped get us there. Beastie Man 420, Siberian Kitten, Indiana Zoomer, CSM Master. Some call me Tim79. Our internet friends like Ghost Hammer, William S., The Upside Down Man. And spoopy. Mm. And then, of course, the meme teamers. That Southern Dude, The Real Smokehannis 81, Let's Go Brenda, Madam America Memes, Right Wing Savages, John Hacker LA, Machiavelli Memes. It was great to see Carpe Donkum back on Twitter. Oh, nice. He has returned, and there were some amazing memes there. Steven Voiceover thinks, I think he had the best one. I shared it. We've got 
mostly peaceful memes. And last but not least, his current IG is suspended, but follow the backup, grand old memes. Guys, thanks for remember between now and next year. How you like that dad joke? Uh, Number one, do your own research. Number two, start a podcast. Noah. Asshole. Thank you. Wasn't that bad. <laughs> Number three, let's start talking about American greatness again. We don't talk about it enough. My New Year's resolution is to start talking about American greatness again. And last but certainly not least, let's see what happens. This has been episode 200. Yay us of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. And we'll be back with 201 on Tuesday of next week. So far, Jake Denton and Cash Patel are going to be here. On behalf of the entire pod team, Alan Jacoby, who guest hosted today, and Antoinette, who's already gone. I'm Roan. Noah. Later. Thanks for listening. Have a happy and safe New Year. And take care. Newman, I'm just curious. When you booked the hotel, did you book it for the Millennium New Year? As a matter of fact, I did. Oh, that's interesting, because as everyone knows, since there was no year zero, the Millennium doesn't begin until the year 2001, which would make your party one year late, and thus, quite lame. <laughs> oh, acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind should old acquaintance be forgot and the days of old lang syne or old lang syne my dear for old lang syne We'll take a cup of cheer, my dear, and the days of old Lang Syne.